It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take TV, mix in a little bit of Satan, and some half-assed moral? Why you get... Stay tuned. gotta love those old 90s intros to (laughs) movies these themes uh hi and welcome to another episode of the terrible terror podcast uh you wouldn't realize it but i've been recording this a couple times to get the intro right (laughs) but (laughs) i would never lie to you or would i um but hey welcome to another episode and this time we're looking at the film stay tuned now, there's a couple things that I want to talk about, and I felt like I was rambling a little bit, so that's why I decided to record this part over again and try to make it a little more succinct. Um, but there are a couple things that I'm going to look at when we're talking about this film. One, um, that I believe that this is a movie of its time, and why do I say that? Well, there's a couple of things, nothing really major, and it's funny that this movie is actually a PG and not a PG-13, um, that maybe are set just because of the times, right? Like when I talked about Monster Squad, there was some language. It's not really the language. Um, maybe a joke or two about a couple things uh, in the movie that are just like 90s things, right? This movie came out in 92. And a lot of the jokes and humor were based around like, you're gay. You know, that was the punchline. Oh, get, this person likes dudes or she likes women. Like, it's just... That's the way it is, or you're cross-dressing, and we're using cross-dressing as a joke. Now, before you start calling me all, oh, you know, weak, whatever the fuck you want to say, I I don't care. Like, to me, I know it's because of the times, you know, if this was made today, people would be upset about it. In fact, even I might be upset about it. Who knows? I don't know. But, you know what, There, I still find it funny because it came from a time where, like, it was... Not saying it was okay, but it was commonplace, right? Um, the second thing is, is because it is a parody, right? This is a parody film. They parody a ton of stuff. Some of the stuff still works, right? And we'll talk about this more in depth as we get into the film. But some of the stuff, it really is reliant on whether or not you knew it at the time. Now, at the time, and and I, I kind of say like a good parody film really... You can watch it at any point in time. You could be, you know, 15 watching this for the very first time and still enjoy it. Or you could be, you know, 65 watching it and it makes you remember those things because you remember them vividly and you still enjoy it. That's what a really good parody film. So a film like Airplane, right? That's kind of like a lampooning type film. That one, I believe, would be one that I would use as an example of It Holds Up. Right, because I think anybody can watch that, and there are still a little bit of like moments in there, like the the jive talking scene, that you might not know what jive is, but it's still funny, 
right? It still holds up, and the whole thing together is is still a funny movie. Whereas something like, and I know there's going to be at least one person that's going to get mad at me, uh, but <laughs> like disaster movie. Let's take that one for an example. I can pick any of those fucking movies that are around that time. It is so grilled in and dug in into that moment and making fun of things at that moment that if you have no reference for that stuff, it's not that funny. It's not that funny anyways, but it's not that funny. It works for some people. It doesn't work for everybody, right? And that's just a personal opinion. But something that would be, I consider to be funny that some people might not are the first two scary movies, right? Where they didn't really do that. Especially the second one. The second one's more spoofing like the the Haunting of Hill House or Ghost uh, Haunted House movies, right? Like, that one doesn't necessarily need specific things in that time to make it be really funny. Even though it includes a couple things, you know, that would make it in that way if you didn't know necessarily what it was. But even if you didn't, I think the scenes are so ridiculous, especially everything with Chris Elliott in the second one, that you can still really enjoy it even if you don't know what they're lampooning, right? Like at the time, you know, shit, it took me a long time to see uh, Poltergeist. I almost said Poltergeist because of fucking Dave and Jenny... (laughs) From the last bonus episode. But Poltergeist took me a while. So scenes like the clown scene from under the bed. Like that took me a little while to, to understand. I'm like oh okay. I, I kind of knew that's where it was from. But I didn't know how well they did it. Even though it's really ridiculous with a giant penis. Uh, but it, it's things like that. Where you know maybe that's like that's crude and everything like that. But it's still funny. Like, and I feel like you don't need to know anything else about what's going on with anything else to really enjoy that movie. And that's where I come where, like, to this film, to stay tuned in particular. So just note that if you don't have a frame of reference, it may be difficult for you to find the humor that maybe I'm going to find the humor in. Um, and I'll do my best to talk through it, but I really want to, this is part of me looking at it with, Trying to look without the nostalgia, the goggles, but at some point they're going to fucking come on because I know there's ways that I feel about this film. But, you know, I'll try to be as best, uh, give the best review that I possibly can without that taking those things into mind. And maybe as a listener, you can take those things into mind as well. Now, if you have Amazon Prime, you really don't have an excuse to watch this. But I don't know if it's necessary that you need to watch it before you go to, you know listen to this uh it's not really gonna ruin anything for you there isn't any like special twists or anything like that i mean it's like uh it's i guess it's a weird moral story about battling middle age you know there's really not a whole lot that you and that's very like thinly veiled in my mind uh but there's no reason to be like oh you know i have to watch it there are some sight gags and there's one um particular commercial that I excluded from this whole thing, even though I included the two things that happened before and after it. And so you'll notice, but if you've seen the movie and you know the movie, you'll be like, hey, why is this gone? And it's gone particularly because it's only really a visual gag, but I'll do my best to explain it when the time comes. And, you know, things like that. You can probably find on YouTube if you want to find the specific scenes. Uh, and then there's one scene that I did put up on the, the Instagram and the Facebook page um, that you, you can watch and I'll be talking about it. It's just because of a weird goof I found. Uh, and there's another goof that's later on that we'll talk about uh, within this. And there's probably plenty more, but that was the most like 
uh, obvious one, I guess I could say. And the other one, it's like, if you were watching it and you weren't paying attention, you might not notice it at all. So, now the film itself was rumored to have had a budget of about $25 million and only made $10 million. Though it did debut at number 6 for that weekend. It must have been a really slow weekend. At least a claim by the Los Angeles Times at that time. Now, there's going to be a little bit of trivia throughout this thing, only because I had the x-ray on while I was watching this on Prime, and there was actually a couple of interesting little trivia bits, like the fact that Ed Harris was originally up the role for Spike instead of Jeffrey Jones, and like there are things like that. Even Beverly D'Angelo, I think, was up the for the role of the wife, um, which those are two like actors... That or, or actor and actresses, if you want to say it that way, um, that I think would have been very different. Even Joe Pesci was up for the role of Roy, which I think I would have really enjoyed Joe Pesci being in this role. But honestly, nobody's going to come close to John Ritter. Now, a lot of people are going to say that there is no heart to the role. And honestly, with uh, John Ritter, I really, really enjoy him in this movie. But he is kind of spacey. But I think that fits this character really, really well. And it makes me miss John Ritter so much. So why don't we go ahead and just start with the opening of the film, which is going to be Murray and his wife. And they're sitting around watching TV when somebody comes at the door. But of course, you know, the thing is is that they're setting up is that, you know, Murray, he's just a little bitch when it comes to his wife. Murray, get the door! Just grown out of these trips. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be the great white hunter. Sorry to disturb you at this hour, Mr. Seidenbaum, but you have been personally selected to receive a most irresistible offer. He's giving me instructions like I'm still a little boy. I realized you felt like this, Douglas. I'm surprised you didn't say anything before this. And so that's the very start of the movie where the wife of Murray, Mrs. Something Bomb, I can't remember off the top of my head, Bomb, Sadden Bomb, Sidon Bomb, uh, you know, not gonna, not gonna, not gonna work here anymore. So, um, <laughs> but they basically get, uh, they disappear and nobody really seems to care. And that's the one big thing that I have about this is that, like, these two seem to be the only ones that have kids that have figured out that, hey, mom and dad are gone. Like, everybody that's disappeared within what we're going to talk about, nobody cares. Nobody knows that they're gone and nobody gives a shit, right? I guess that's the same thing as the first and the last one, that nobody cares and nobody gives a shit. But nobody really goes out and looks for these people. They don't do anything. Like... We just know that they've been, like, sucked into this TV world, and we're following them because they're on the giant big scoreboard or baseball board that's going on back back there with the souls batted in, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. And it's just kind of funny. Like, you see this guy, and he's whipped by his wife, and, you know, she's bossing him around the house, making him go get popcorn, and all he wants to do is sit down with her and watch some TV, and he can't even do that because she's not allowing him to relax, and that's when Spike shows up, but we don't know that that's Spike right away, with the offer that he can't refuse, and then shenanigans happen and we get the the beginning credits and really these are those kind of weird like 80s 
kind of 90s credits. This did come out in 92, so I was relatively young at this time. But I always remember that like a lot of 80s, especially when it came to comedies, they're always kind of like animated credits and stuff like that. I really liked the, the whole title card sequence and, you know, all the, the character credits that are in here, um, which is basically just a TV eating things, but it's got his little devil tail that's moving around. And like I said in the beginning, I really like the music of this movie. It really feels like fanciful and fantastical, like... Uh, maybe I'm not using the right words for everything because I can't think of the right words, but it's really got this kind of like peppy, jumpy, like, especially during the, when we get to the Chuck Jones uh, produced segment, like the music is perfect. It fits it. The music just fits this movie in general, right? With the exception of one big giant thing that happens towards the end of the movie that still boggles my mind of why they do it. Like, one thing doesn't boggle my mind, but that boggles my mind. And, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll get to it. So, from here, we switch over after the credits roll. And then we get to, you know, listen to the son of the family as he describes his dear old dad. My name is Daryl Mabel. I'm a pretty normal kid who led a pretty normal life. Until that night. It looks and feels natural, whether you're skimming the surf at 30 knots or racing the wind on a cruiser for two. And remember, we stand behind it. And by the way, I'm not only the heckler president, but I'm also a client. In describing my dad, several names come to mind. Bill Cosby, Alan Thicke, the father on the Brady Bunch. My dad watched all of them. In fact, he watched anything on TV all the time. They say the average American watches seven and a half hours of TV a day. If that's true, there are two guys who never watch. And my dad took their time. Alright, so here is Roy, and Roy is our hero of the film. Um, I think you can put a giant fucking question mark on that, whether or not he actually is. But yeah, let's put him in the hero role. And he, well, basically, according to his kid, is considered to be a, what they call back in the day, a couch potato. Uh, now we would call that a lazy motherfucker that just sits on his ass all day and watches TV. You know, goes out, works his job, does his 9 to 5, comes home, and just wants to watch fucking TV and unwind because his job fucking sucks. So, why don't we learn a little more of what's kind of going around the house? Well, you know, we do... There is a little bit of turmoil that we do get to learn right away. And it has to be between, you know, him and his wife. And she really feels that he's just not really paying attention. Because, you know, she comes down. She's like, I'm going to be going to bed. And he's like, okay, I'll be there soon. But he's so enthralled with his fencing movie. He's managed to pull one of his, like, fencing swords down from the wall. And he's practicing along with the movie. And he knows all the lines because he's seen the movie so much. Which means that, I guess I'm Roy. Huh. Especially when it comes to certain movies that I can do the lines one for one while I'm watching it. Okay, never mind. I'm not fucking Roy. Maybe I am. Huh. Anyway, so he's just so enthralled and she walks away saying, Well, I'm going to rent out your side of the bed. He's like, Oh, okay, I'll see you up there in a bit. And he's just really not paying attention to what's going on. We fade over into the next day and we learn that both... The, the little boy who is our narrator and the brother uh, in the household, well, he's kind of a perv, but at least he's trying to make money off his pervousness. Don't get me wrong. I like TV just as much as the next person. It's just there are more things you can do with it than only watch it. For instance, you can also make money with it. 
interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special report. Young electronics genius, Daryl Mabel, has just won the Nobel Prize oh, you for electronic surveillance for secretly videotaping his sister Diane French kissing with her boyfriend Chris. We're talking tongues here. For copies of this tape, send $3 to Daryl Nabel, 1532 Blue Jay Court. Okay, so this scene is weird. Like, it sets up something later in the movie. I get it, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to show that the brother is, like, a scientific or electronical genius, and he's able to hack into the TVs everywhere, and he is trying to make money, but isn't that just a little bit wrong? And the fact that both mom and dad here, they really don't pay attention to what's going on. Like, they both look like... Oh my god, he's at it again, and it's not, wait, why does he have videotape of his sister French kissing with her boyfriend? And why is my daughter French kissing with her boyfriend? Like, what's gonna happen in the future? Is he gonna start selling, like, sex tapes? Is he gonna be on fucking Pornhub driving the whole, oh my god, he's the reason for the whole stepsister porn. I knew it. That's exactly what this is. Oh, God. See, if they had only seen the fucking signs in the past, then this would have never fucking happened. So, it's it's just weird, right? Like, it, it can't be normal. Everybody just kind of laughs it off, except for the neighbor that goes after poor Roy here and is mad because, you know, he caused a power outage in the neighborhood, even though it seemed like the TVs all went back in. And can I say that TV that they have in the bathroom? And as much, like, shit that Helen, Roy's wife gives Roy about watching TV. They have TVs everywhere in the fucking house. They've got it in the kids' room. They got it in, well, the son's room, the daughter's room, their bedroom, wherever she's deciding to do her fucking workouts in the morning, in the bathroom with a sweet, like, little TV that still looks like it's a fucking 13-inch TV. And that's more stuff we'll talk about later. But it's just, like, all over the goddamn house. And yet she complains about him having the TV... But maybe it's just because he's watching it so much. It's like, okay, go ahead. We can have 50 fucking TVs in this house, but you only better watch that for two hours a day, mister, or else I'm going to get mad and pretend that I'm going to go to my mother's house, and that's going to cause problems for you later. So it's just kind of weird that they have so many TVs, and yet, you know, one, (laughs) it hasn't been a problem until now, and two, like, they're just kind of all okay with, like, He just does this. He has his own, like, pirate TV station that he's trying to sell the stuff. Like, he doesn't get reprimanded or anything. It's just so weird. And then, like I said, you know, Roy gets approached by his neighbor who has the Rottweiler from hell, supposedly, that is always terrorizing poor Roy. And he's basically, like, mad that, you know, his son, you know, did his little thing and broke into their TVs. And he's been stealing power from them next door to power his shit. And he's just upset about it, and he says, I'm going to call the FCC. Yeah, that's right, you heard me, the FCC. Because the FCC is going to do something about a little small pirate TV station? Well, I guess they might, considering that, like, you know, they hate everybody. So, that's where we get in a little voiceover from the sun, where we get to learn a little more about the dad's job, and what also, you know, Helen does on a regular basis and why, you know, Dad might have a little bit of a complex about it. My mom was a big deal advertising executive with a vitamin company. My dad had this real suck job selling plumbing supplies. I heard them arguing one night, and she said he was suffering from something called a, a midlife crisis, whatever that is. 
He said he wasn't. She said he was jealous of her success. He said he wasn't. They argued a lot. This is kind of a running thing that happens in the movie. She's constantly, and you're going to hear it throughout all the clips that we do in the rest of the episode, but she's constantly putting him down, basically saying that you're just upset because your job sucks and mine doesn't. And it's like, and I'm moving up and you're just stuck in your rut. Like, yeah, he's stuck in his rut because he doesn't really know what to do anymore. You know what? Eventually, if you get into that rut, you're just going to end up staying there and you're just going to eat it. Because you know what? I can't do anything better. I can't get another job. Nobody wants to hire me. I really don't have anything that I like to do. You know, and the fact that she's got to constantly be breathing down his fucking neck. And whenever they have an argument, bring up, well, you're just jealous of me. Fuck you. You know, okay, who cares? You know, I would be happy to be a kept fucking man. I'm going to say this right now. If my wife decided that she had a job, you know, she got this job that was making, you know, let's say 200000 a year. And that was going to keep me at fucking home. And all I could do is just, I get to podcast from time to time. I got to keep the house clean. I got to cook. I got to do all this stuff. I don't give a shit. It would be the same way with her too. You know, if she had the capability to do that, it would be expected of me. But I wouldn't care that she was better than me. Especially if I'm just doing a basic job just to, you know, say have play money with. And I have a feeling that maybe that's what he's doing too. Like, why does she... She's insecure enough about her thinking that she's going to be better than him. And that it's going to hurt his self-esteem. That she's basically making it hurt his self-esteem. I don't care. It would be the same way both ways. You know, you got to approach this thing as, okay, we're both in this together. Yeah, maybe I make a little more than you or you make a little more than me or whatever it is, but I'm just happy. And he's honestly constantly saying, no, that's not what it is. I think into the point that he just gets beaten to believing that's what it is. I just feel like he really doesn't know where he wants to go. He's just being complacent because he's like, I'm not going to do anything different. This is just what my life is going to be. And she's not respecting that at all. She's just taking it as you're you're getting into your 40s now. You know, you know, the end of your life is going to be coming up and you're upset because I'm doing so much better than you. Look at me. I'm the one that's making sure that we have this house and that we have all the stuff that we want. And you want to be the breadwinner, but you can't. So you're jealous of me. And that hurts my own feelings because you don't want me to be better than I am. Like you're projecting on him. Stop fucking doing it. And it's just constant. And the thing is, is is it true? I honestly don't know. It could be totally false. It could be totally true. But, you know, there's definitely a, a little bit of truth behind it. But I feel like it's kind of put on by the character herself. So, he comes home from his long day. And then we get to see all the stumbling things that happen to him. He spills coffee on a client. He tries to take his briefcase out of a car. Only to throw it in the road and get run over. Meanwhile, they talk about still how well the wife is doing till he comes home and he ends up getting, you know, chased around by the dog. But there is a thing that the kids are trying to do for the parents and that's give them a little bit of time alone. So that's my dad going to his pretty normal home after his pretty normal day at a suck job, ready to watch his TV. And that brings us to that night I was talking about. That's when everything changed. Fight of anything I've done, I love you. I don't care who loves who. I won't play the sap for you. I won't walk in Thursday. It's not an enemy. It's footsteps. You killed Miles, and you're going over for it. 
way, way, way. Where are you two going? Mom, remember? All right, I spend the night with friends. Diane, no boys. Mother, I am not a child. Mm -hmm. Well, you go directly to Tracy's, you understand me? Right. Mom, you know my friend Billy Stefan? Mm-hmm. Well, his dad moved out for a while, and then his dad and his mom went away and sat in a hot tub all weekend. And when they got back, Billy's dad moved back in, and things were all better. Did you and your sister plan this so that your dad and I could be alone? Up in the hot tub, popping bubbly, rubbing your spot, love. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong thing. This is not big pun time. Uh, but it's still like... Hey, you know, my friend's parents went away and they just sat in a hot tub. They weren't just sitting in the hot tub. They were banging, you know, and you probably wish that you had your video camera on there so that you can make sure that you made money off the fact that your friend's parents were getting it on in a hot tub, but you weren't allowed to be there and nobody was. But it does give Helen an idea of basically going out there and trying to get away with Roy and, you know, making sure that their marriage does work. But, of course, somebody is addicted. Now, okay, in this scene... I get it. He watches a lot of fucking TV, okay? Okay, I totally get this. I understand it, and he, you know, totally ignores her and doesn't do anything for her. I understand. That's where we're going with this. But when it comes to sports, if you're watching the game with four minutes left, can't you not bring this shit up until it's over? Like, one exception. I know you're absolutely tired because he was watching some old film. And you're just there, eating your goddamn checks Mix, just waiting for him. Okay, there's a lot of fucking random product placement in this movie, too. But you're eating your fucking checks Mix, and you're basically, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with your screwball fucking husband that just sits on the couch every time he comes home and ignores you, and you think it's about you, but it might just be about him. Uh, and But just let him watch the last four minutes of the game and then bring it up to him. The high post. Roy? I, uh, I have an idea. Oh, great, congrats. You know how proud I am of you. Pass it, pass it. Let's go away. Okay, uh, you, you go ahead. I'll be there in four minutes and 16 seconds. Roy. Oh, yeah. Roy. Yeah. Let's go away like we used to, to the mountains. Okay. Just the two of us. Great. No phones, no kids, no TV. No TV? They don't have TV there. Is there a plug? This is abnormal. You're, you're just shutting yourself off from everything and everybody. Are you having problems? Is it me? Yes. No. Is it work? Are you having trouble at work? Work? Of course not. What makes you say something like that? Shoot, you idiot. Shoot. The guy's just... The one thing we always promised each other is that we would remain honest. Honey, we are honest with each Look... You say that I'm shut off, that 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 I, I I can't open up to you, that I'm closed down. Okay, well I'm I'm gonna tell you something that that's very important to me, and I'm gonna be completely honest. I just I I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Oh Roy, talk to me. I can take anything. We're in double overtime here. Thanks, sweetheart. Could you mind moving just a second? This is unbelievable. You couldn't do it, could you? You couldn't listen to me for, for two minutes without that stupid television being on. 
When I married you, you were a doer. And now all you are is a watcher. All right. Huh. Okay, come on. It was the Seattle Supersonics. They're not going to be a team for very much longer. And, you know, he needs to be able to watch that last four minutes. It's double fucking overtime. It's even worse. Okay, people, and he really approached it, I think, in the correct way, where he's like, I don't want you to get mad, and I will totally open up with you after these four minutes and 16 seconds of double fucking overtime. Just let me watch this, you stupid soul-sucking bitch. Oh, wait, maybe that wasn't the right way to handle it. But nonetheless, he's he's honestly, like, it's weirdly relatable to the character in some way, right? You feel bad for him because Helen just doesn't really understand what's kind of going on with him, but it's also relatable to her, and I feel like they're really trying to create this, like, male-female type of dichotomy here, where the man is, you know, he's been working hard all day, he just wants to relax, just wants to watch his sports or his TV, and here comes the wife that just thinks that everything that, you know, he's doing is about her, and specifically, like, he doesn't love her because he just wants to go over there and touch the TV, but he won't touch her. You know, it's it's not that. You know, it could be something else. It could be just something psychological with the guy that he's just stuck there. And that's just the way that things are going to be. And this is the only escape he has because his job really fucking sucks. And that's the only job he has. And he's too afraid to leave the fucking job. Instead of being, like, nurturing at the same time. And this goes both ways, right? I'm not just trying to pick on fucking her as a character. But I'm saying that she could be a little nurturing where he could back the fuck off the other stuff too and attend to her needs in some way, shape, or form. But during the last four fucking minutes of double overtime, you don't fucking interrupt that, right? Am I wrong here? So she leaves in a huff. And now that he's had his TV smashed, he goes and grabs one of the portable TVs, puts it on top of that one. Now, the TV that he has, it's like a 13-incher, okay? And I'm talking about that this TV looks exactly like the TV that I had growing up in my bedroom that was about 13, maybe a little bit smaller, maybe it was more like a 10-inch TV color, but it had like, instead, and this is, God, this makes me feel so old, uh, and the TV itself was already old. But basically, instead of, like, a tuner, you know, like, you look at some TVs and you have a remote, you know, for... And the remotes really started being a big thing, I'd say, like, maybe towards the end of the 70s, you had those big, giant, clunky remotes for the TVs. But still not every... That was, like, a luxury if your TV actually had a remote that you could change the channels on. And I remember that was the big thing. My dad bought this TV when I was... uh Somewhere, I want to say like uh, maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe maybe earlier than that. Maybe my memory's a little fuzzy, but I want to say it's around that time because they needed a new TV. Um, and that TV that came with a remote, and I remember that was like his big thing, you know. And, and it was also like, and this is funny that I have to I'm start and talk about TV here, but he had it. He was so cherished with that. He also had an AB switch in the back that the cable company gave him so that way that you could flip it and if you wanted to watch something and record something at the same time so that way you didn't have to worry about it you just flip the ab switch so you'd be on side a or side b 
And so, well, getting back to it. So he was all happy about it. But in our room, we just had a basic TV. And that's where the Super Nintendo or the Nintendo at that time was plugged into. Maybe even at this time this movie came out, the Super Nintendo was either on the way or was already there. I can't quite remember um, just because I'm not thinking about Super Nintendo years. But I'm sure somebody will tell me. Um, And it was that to get the channels so there are buttons on the tv and you'd hit the button that you wanted to be that channel and it had the rabbit ears but to get it i had to break a pencil like the, the tip of a pencil off so that there was no lead in it and it was perfectly fit for these little tuners and basically in this panel tune each of the channels in so that way it could hit the button so that i know what i wanted to watch so like the channel that i watched all the time around here is channel 44 also known as channel 12 so that was like on that tv i think channel 10 and it could only come in on that specific one where channel 2 i tried to make it channel 2 same with channel 5 and channel 4 you know the cbs and the fox and the nbc and the abc i tried to make those as close but this one would only come in on that one fucking one so it's just funny when i see these two tvs and the one that he has with the remote reminds me and looks exactly like that tv it's like super old school nonetheless so, and I'm sure that uh, my cousin, who's probably listened to it, remembers that TV, because we played a lot of fucking Nintendo on that TV, uh, and Super Nintendo and all this stuff. I think even played uh, my old PlayStation games on that same TV. I had to have the uh, like cable connector, not the RCA connector, uh, the little box, to even play any of that shit. But I digress. So... He's got his giant, and I mean giant, almost the same size as that TV, portable TV. It's got like a little fucking four-inch screen or something on there. Looks like he's watching a Game Boy screen, uh, at least from the distance that it's back there. It's probably bigger than that. But he's back there, and he gets a ring at the door, and that's where we get to see Jeffrey Jones's character, Spike, for the second time in the movie. And he makes Roy an offer he honestly can't refuse. Mr. Nabel. Sorry to disturb you at this hour, but you've been personally selected to receive a most irresistible offer. Look, I'm kind of busy right now. Wait, Mr. Nabel. I have something you want. Escape from all your failures and woes at the touch of your thumb on this. Go ahead. Your new controller. Your passport to the ultimate television adventure. Cute place. You fence! Oh, I used to. Ever, uh, kill anyone? Of course not. Look, Mr. Uh... Spike, at your service. What exactly is it that you're selling? Mmm, attractive, the little woman. You two having difficulties? Well, I don't see how I know all about you, Roy. Success. It's like a fly buzzing around your head. You reach for it, you grab it, and all you get is nothing. You're tired of nothing, Roy. And so you just want to hide from everything in here. But she gives you hate, right? Roy, wait till she gets a load of this. 666 channels of heart-pounding, skull-blasting entertainment. Comedy, drama, hot oil aerobics. Like nothing you've ever seen, brother. Unlimited entertainment snatched from the ether and slammed into your brand-new 44-inch, 900-line resolution, three-way expanded matrix Dolby stereo TV, right? Here, Roy. A new TV? Straight from the temple of high-tech. Make this thing look like a film call, you know? 
Some people would give hmm, their souls for a system like this, figuratively speaking. Just sign here, and we're in business. I, I can't. All right. Good night, Mr. Nabel. Did I mention the uh... pre-trial? Okay, so... This guy just randomly shows up at your house, bringing you a, okay, this is 92, mind you, 44-inch surround sound TV uh, with 900 lines of resolution. And uh, tongue-in-cheek here, 666 channels, talks about signing your soul away for this. Wouldn't you at least read the fucking contract? He doesn't even bother. He just looks at it. He's all ready to sign, and then he's just like, uh you know what, I can't really afford this because even though my wife's very high at the vitamin company that she works at, I'm just a lowly, piss-poor fucking plumber salesman who can't even get a fucking sales right, and all I do is sit home and, like, mentally masturbate, almost couldn't say that, uh, to the TV every fucking night. And so, (laughs) it's, it's like, why? Why wouldn't you look? Just take a second. Just a, huh, huh, okay. This says something about souls. You said something about souls. Um, maybe I don't want to sign this at all. Maybe I'll sit back and just kind of relax and let you go on your way. But of course, he hears free trial, and <laughs> that's just enough to get him going for it. But there isn't any, like, he didn't even, exp- like, give any type of explanation of what the payment plan is like, how much this is actually going to cut. Oh, wait, but he did your soul. Like, really? Read the fucking paperwork. Who cares about the free trial? What is the free trial going to give me? Well, it's going to give them something not so happy and give them, you know, basically it's going to ruin their marriage is what's going to happen. Uh, but you know what? Roy says, fuck it. I don't know anything about souls. I think that maybe we could try it out at least for a couple of days and let's see what happens when Helen comes back. And we also get a little taste of the TV channels that are offered by this weird television TV. Now, honey, just keep an open mind. There's no obligation. I got it on a free trial. It's, it's a whole satellite system over 600 channels. I hate to leave you, but I really must say, oh, good night, sweetheart. Wednesdays at nine, three men and Rosemary's baby. The salesman said we get a lot of shows you can't get on regular TV. Helen? Helen? We thought it would be funny if our Bob, dressed as a policeman, would tell a perfect stranger that her husband is dead. Yes. Mrs. Cecily Barth? Yes. Your husband's name was Stephen Barth? Was. What do you mean was? Did your husband drive a 1978 Chevrolet Impella? What are you saying? Yes, something happened to my Stephen Tully. Now watch her reaction to the bad news. I'm afraid so. <laughs> I think it's time for Mrs. Barth to be let in on the fun. Don't you? Mrs. Barth? Look across the street at that van behind me. Look really carefully. Is that a... It's a camera, yes. Wait a minute. 
You mean? Yes, Mrs. Barth. You're on. Statistic hidden videos? <laughs> you're Bob. You're Bob. I'm on TV. Oh, oh you guys. <laughs> okay, now, as I... <laughs> it's still fucking funny to me, okay? But nonetheless, like, again, these shows, you kind of like, this is not so bad. Okay, in terms of that nostalgia thing I said, and whether or not you connect to it, Three Men and Rosemary's Baby. Everybody knows what Rosemary's Baby is. Most people who are into horror can kind of recognize that right away. At this time, that might have been a little bit of an obscure reference to some, but it's a famous enough movie that you could say, okay, Three Men and a Baby? That was something of the time, but it still was an extremely popular movie, at least at that time, and that might be something people don't really get. Hidden camera shows, people get, okay? you They're all over the place, from things like Impractical Jokers uh, to, you know, ha- Trigger Happy TV back in the 2000s, which I fucking love. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. To just, you know, your regular punked and those type of shows. So everybody can connect to those. So these ones, and I'm going to kind of go through as we, we listen to more of these, these ones we can kind of relate to. I think we could totally get with and we'd be okay. And it would still be funny if we weren't in that time period, right? It just matters if you find it funny or not. That's really where it's going to go. I do find them funny, especially when you're watching the three men in Rosemary's Baby and she starts puking all over them. Uh, that's fucking great. And then the, the sadistic TV hidden camera show is not that terrible, to be honest. It's just like, oh, well, it's not right that you tell somebody that their husband's dead and then say, oh, guess what? You're on a hidden camera show. Um, because that happened to me once and that wasn't very funny. Uh, maybe it was now looking back at it. But, uh, huh. I didn't have to beat that guy to a bloody pulp before they revealed the camera. Uh, just hope nobody finds that. Hey, okay, so we're back. Um, and it's just, it's really fucking, like, ridiculous, right? And she freaks the fuck out. Helen just does not want any of this. She destroyed his TV because she hates what the TV has done to him. And here he is. Now he's got a new 44-inch TV. Okay, I guess, again, back in 92, that was fucking huge, okay? And it looks really fucking ridiculous. But you know what? It really wasn't that huge. Because remember my dad's friend having one of those, like, rear projection TVs where you cannot install or plug up a Nintendo into it because it would burn images of Mario on the TV? But it was, like, 70-inch. It was huge. It was uh, also about about 200 pounds. I might not be exaggerating there, but it was really fucking heavy. So it wasn't something that you used, you know, you, you had just to put into your house. But this thing does have nice speakers and kind of looks like ed 209 to be honest with you and it's got these weird like buttons and flashing levers all over the place and how it displays the channel it's not like a cable box it's just right on the side and it goes up to 666 channels i wonder if we ever get to that one but of course he's all excited about it he got it on a free trial after all he doesn't have to really pay anything and of course she's fucking pissed because she destroys tv for the reasons that she did so she's gonna pack up and fucking leave him and as he's watching that last show it starts going out and spike did tell him that if you you know if it does go out on you make sure that you go outside and you adjust the dish because it needs to find the signal again. And that was, of course, also before he left, and he also drove down a one-way street and then disappeared into a portal into hell. So, hey, you still haven't realized that he might not have been a good guy? 
But nonetheless, they're out there arguing again because she's brought out her stuff. And then they get sucked into the TV because as they're arguing, the satellite dish has its own mind and points towards them and then starts sucking them in until it's ready to fire some weird type of tractor beam to where it first takes her luggage and then it sucks both of them inside the TV. Then you get that lawnmower man type sequence where they're flying through virtual reality and you see a picture of Jeffrey Jones and we get the first of many challenges that they're going to have to face inside the world of Hellavision. And that's a wonderful game show called... And welcome back to... Now, let's welcome our new contestants, Roy and Helen Naval. Do you know the rules of our game? What game? What? The game with these great prizes, Jay. Feast your eyes on this. The all-new Napper Crapper 9000. You'll never have to get off your fat, lazy butt again. The Napper Crapper has every amenity. A built-in color TV. It adjusts to you so you don't have to move. No more trips to the kitchen during commercials. Better yet, no more annoying trips to the bathroom. Your television viewing never has to be interrupted. And of course... Win or lose, every contestant takes home a set of Encyclopedia Satanica. And now it's time to play You Can't Win. Back to you, Guy. Roy, the first question's for you. On your last wedding anniversary, you missed the romantic dinner your wife had planned. The reason? A, car trouble. B, you were running a marathon. C, you were in a bar, swilling beer, watching World Series. It's car trouble, just like I said. No! Helen, can you take it? You're watching baseball? That's right! Oh, come on. It was the fucking World Series. You could have been okay with that, right? I mean... It had to have been the one time that Seattle's ever made it to the World Series in its whole franchise history, right? Unlike a certain athletic team that's been there a couple of times and won it when I was a kid. But nonetheless, it's still like, yeah, okay, it's kind of bad. You skip out on your anniversary with your wife because it's the World Series. Well, I mean, if it's the first time that your team's ever been there, maybe she might understand. At least you could say... Hey, I'm going to be there after it. But you made up a fucking excuse saying, oh, I had car trouble. Well, maybe he did have some car trouble and decided, oh, I need to get it worked on while I was at the bar. Maybe that's exactly happened. But he was like going around, drinking beer, watching it instead of being there with her. Okay, I can give it. And that's kind of the style of that game show, right? Whatever they say, they can't win because maybe he did have car trouble, but he just, like, you know what? I have to get the car fixed. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go drink beer in this bar until my car's done, and then I'll go... Can't win on that either because you shouldn't be driving home when you've been drinking a bunch of beer after watching the World Series. But nonetheless, you know, there could have been other things, but that's the way this game show works. So... Don Pardo, why don't you just tell them what they didn't win? Well, they didn't win that 20 set of Encyclopedia Satanica and the case of Turtle Wax and a year's supply of Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. But that's not all. They also made themselves look like a jerk in front of millions of people. And they brought shame and disgrace on their family name for generations to come. They don't get to come back tomorrow. They don't give it a lousy copy of their home game. They're just complete losers. So... <laughs> 
nonetheless, it's so freaking ridiculous. Like, I kind of want that <laughs> that chair. Oh, God, be a ham fucking Roy. Um, I don't know. Like, maybe back in the 90s it would have been kind of cool. You have it, swivels the TV out so you don't have to leave there. It's got a crapper on it. Um, it's not seemingly hooked up to any type of plumbing. So, maybe you got to collect it every now and then. I don't fucking know. Or maybe it just sits in the bathroom and you never have to fucking leave and it contours to you. Plus, it has a whole full case of beer in there so or soda or whatever you want. So, there we go. That's something very useful for later. I mean, who doesn't want to have a nice frothy case of beer right next to them while they're watching the game? That'd be perfect. It's still really ridiculously, like funny at the same time like it really is like the couch potatoes fucking like love making machine or something like that i don't really know and that's probably the best thing i can think of at that point but nonetheless so they've at least gone through the first part of questions but they haven't really lost yet from here we actually switch over and we get a little bit of information of exactly what's going on when we get introduced to eugene's crowley as well as the new guy on the screen and we get to see what's kind of up in the world of, well, television. Trust me, babe, you locked into the right place. Very cushy down here. I mean, you can cool your heels in here for the rest of eternity if you kiss the right ass. And let me tell you, these lips ain't calloused for nothing. <laughs> you some kind of comedian? Ah, I went soaping for Liberace in Vegas. Great. Ah, this is the Jumbotron. Beauty, isn't it? It's got all the bells and whistles. This is uh, our official scoreboard. Uh, keeps track of the SBIs. Souls batted in. <laughs> kind of a sports thing. <coughs> Time for the side and bounce. Punch him up. Mm, the side and bounce. Yearning for exotic locales. This episode takes them to Tokyo. They're having a wonderful time, starring in their own movie. It's the Sidon Bombs versus the gigantic stinky-footed lizard. Oh, Sayonara, Mrs. Sidon Bomb. Entertainment. Oh, he's good. He's so good. <laughs> Shocking. Sir, this is Pierce, our new uh, intern. Mr. Pierce, if you can't stomach the sight of blood... It's not perhaps. the blood I find distressing. It's your lack of subtext. Film school graduate. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. USC. I did my thesis on Kurosawa and Spike Lee. Mr. Lewis. Pierce, let me educate you about our organization. Here at Hellvision, we've turned the process of soul acquisition into an entertainment extravaganza, and all for the benefit of one very demanding viewer below. The boss himself, and I don't mean Springsteen. He has an enormous <laughs> appetite for misfortune. It is our job to supply him with an eclectic offering of light amusements. No subject! All right, so Satan just likes people getting fucked up. I can fucking roll with that. I think I'd be okay with this type of... Is is it wrong for me to really want this type of TV to exist? Like, I would love to watch some of these shows that pop up. The, you know, 
sadistic hidden camera might be fun to watch every now and then. Or Three Men and Rosemary's Baby, or, you know, as the other shows that we're going to talk about as they come up. I'm not so sure about this game show. This would be one of those ones like the Game Show Network where I just really never turn on. I kind of wonder what a cooking show in hell is like. Hmm. I wonder if it'd be like Chopped, but it'd be like, you know, Hannibal Lecter's Chopped. Cannibal Chopped, something like that, along those lines. See, you know, like, I really feel at times, the way they do these things, that this movie and UHF were written by the same exact person, even though they were not. Uh, because it really has a UHF type of feel to it. Like, this is just an extension of it, except for, like, they saw UHF and they were like, huh, what if we threw in satanic messages into it? Okay, we'll do that. We made Stay Tuned, and that's what we got here. So... The whole idea is that it's just another way to acquire souls. They've created these TV stations where they suck in these people that are basically like sloths and put them through all these different challenges. I guess like it's Double Dare or some shit like that. They have to do the physical challenge all the time or they're going to get slimed. Or in the case of Mrs. Seidenbaum over there, get stomped on by Godzilla. Oh, I'm sorry. A giant lizard with a sticky foot. Um, it's And that's the worst fucking Godzilla that I have ever seen. I know they probably couldn't contact Toho and like, look, can we at least get the Godzilla from, you know, Son of Godzilla or Godzilla Rides Again or something like that? We'll use that one. Fuck. Even Pee-wee's Big Adventure got fucking Godzilla in their movie and stay tuned. They can't get Godzilla for what they're paying for it, but nonetheless. So... God, that thing looks terrible. It's like just pure rubber. Oh, you know what? It almost looks like if you took a real painting of Godzilla and you gave it to that lady that did that painting of Jesus Christ when she tried to retouch it. And it looked like shit. That's this fucking Godzilla. Right fucking there. Okay? So... Uh, so we go back over to the game show and they get clamped in for the last question to be dropped over a river of blood or lava or whatever it is. <clears throat> and the three questions that they get are, you know, who's seeing their ex? Is it, you know, is it Roy? Is it Helen? Or is it both? Helen answers that it's both of them because they see each other right now. And then they're like, you're correct. And then they go through and we cut back over into, you know, or well, they don't go through anywhere just yet. But we cut back over after they've won the first challenge. And, you know, they explain a little more of what's going on to Pierce over here. And also about the one time where somebody actually got away, which uh, kind of fucks Eugene Levy. How long do they usually last in there? Whether they go quickly or not, in the end, they always join us. Well, not always, sir. I think you're uh, forgetting that uh, one wiry little Peruvian chap. A mistake, Mr. Crowley, that will not happen again. Hey, it wasn't me that lost up. <laughs> Are you implying that it was my fault? I'm kidding. <laughs> you know me. Always joking. I think, Mr. Crowley, it's time for a little field work. Ah, uh, Spike. <laughs> sir. Ah. Uh, why don't I take you to lunch? We can sit down, we can... Oh, oh boy. Hey, Spike, come on. You know me. <laughs> Chronic foot-in-the-mouth disease. <laughs> I don't want to do field work. Cause, uh, I'm executive material here. I belong in here with you. Screw up in here and you're dead meat dead meat 
Oh, what I forgot to mention is that these guys are all dead in some way, shape, or form. They're just, they went down to hell. You kind of get it when Crowley, who's, again, played by Eugene Levy, um, he explains to Pierce that they got the cushiest of all the jobs because they don't have to do much. They just have to kiss ass, right? They're dead. They don't have to work in a different layer of fucking hell. All they have to do is work in the television studio that makes Satan fucking happy. And... You know what? That's actually a relatively cushy job in hell. You could have been the guy that needs to, like, the way that Satan wants you to do the rest of your life is, uh, you know, ship barbells all the fucking time. You're going to swallow them down your throat. You're going to shit them out because when you shit them out, they get an extra 10 pounds added to them. And that works in Satan's regimen. And every day he's like, look, I want to pump a little more fucking iron. You're going to have to swallow this 50-pound fucking barbell because it's going to become 75 pounds after the time that you shit it out. And tomorrow I'm going to need you to do that again because I need a 100-pound fucking barbell by Friday. So you better get to fucking work on this. This is your fucking job. And that's what you get to do. Instead, these guys get to have fun creating TV shows that kill people. Works for them. And Eugene Levy gets to beat a fucking jokester. All he has to do is kiss some ass every once in a while. And that line about his lips being super chapped, ew, <laughs> that's fucking disgusting. So Eugene Levy now, Crowley, he's been sucked into the TV, that's what you hear at the end of it. Now he's somewhere out there in the hellverse that is those 666 channels that are there. We cut back over to Roy and Helen where they're told exactly where they're going to go up next. And that happens to be into the world of wrestling where, hey... Is that Mario? The main event, mixed pairs wrestling. No holes barred. No transfusions allowed. He's battle to the death. This has got to be a dream. That's what this is. This is a bad dream. And in this corner, Roy, the couch potato, Mabel, and his wife, Helen, the Harrogate. I gotta wake up. Stay calm. Couch potato. Come on. I, I think he means us. Excuse me, we're not supposed to be here. Okay, everything goes. Maim, murder each other, I don't care. But keep it clean. Okay, go to your corners, and when the bell rings, kill or be killed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we look like wrestlers? We have no idea why we're here. I mean, I'm a senior product manager for a vitamin company. Senior product manager? I got a promotion. You got a pro- Why didn't you tell me you got a promotion? Oh, boy, you know why. Why? Because my success threatens you. Your success does not threaten me. It does, too. It does not. Uh-oh. Now, look, I've watched enough wrestling to know one thing. It's all fake. No one ever gets it. Oh, yeah. It's not fake there. It's totally not fake there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, yeah, that's Captain Lou Albano. If you guys don't know who that is, a uh, couple of references for you. Um, the Cindy Lauper Girls Just Want to Have Fun music video. He plays the dad of Cindy Lauper in that. For me, growing up, he was the voice of Mario in the Mario Brothers Super Show, if you ever watched that. Um, and those are basically my references that I have. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Man, that show was so terrible, but so great at the same time. Because the cartoon parts were kind of cool, 
but the live action parts were so fucking stupid. But I enjoyed the shit. And again, I enjoyed the shit out of that show. I still enjoy watching that show every now and then. But it's fucking stupid. Okay? Hands down. It's one of those things. Uh, but yeah, and every now and then you can do the Mario. Uh, <laughs> so... They go into the wrestling match, and they go ahead and have to wrestle against two gigantic demons. And I love how the guy says, okay, we're going to make this. You know, you can maim each other, kill each other, do whatever you want, but at least make it a clean fight. Wait, how is that a clean fucking fight? They're going to kill you? They're going to rip you apart? Drain your blood? You know, eat your leg while you're there hobbling around the ring trying to punch them or trying to kick them? But you can't anymore because you need to keep your balance on that one fucking leg? doesn't make any sense. But have a clean fucking fight. Maybe he means to tear something off cleanly. And so Roy kind of gets the shit kicked out of him until Helen comes in and saves the day because she jumps in trying to help him. And then she gets a piece of her hair torn out by the lady demon that's in there. Gets the guy knocked out by her outside of the ring. And then she comes back in with like the a big microphone stand and beats the shit out of them. And they end up winning the match and they get released into the next area of the world. We then come back over to the house because it's now the next day and there's 24 hours before they have to be able to get out of there. They have to survive this whole gauntlet and they still don't know what's up. All they know is they're being pushed from basically television program to television programs. And the kid actually finds the TV for the very first time when he comes home, but it turns out to be something, well, they think something a little different than what it actually is. Where's mom and dad? Oh my God. That must have gotten her last night. How did James Dean really die? Find out tonight on Autopsies of the Rich and Famous. Welcome to Northern Overexposure, the story of a young doctor from New York who comes to Alaska, complains about everything, and freezes to death. Yeah, again, I need to see some of these. And again, so here, let's talk about the two things that they have there. So, Celebrity Autopsy. Okay, that's a show and a parody type thing that they could do because they they kind of always do those types of things, right? They have alien autopsy and Bigfoot autopsy and Loch Ness autopsy. You know, Fox just does all these fucking shows all the goddamn time. So that's not really fucking parody. I'm surprised they haven't decided to go, you know, oh, hey, you know, Prince died. Let's go ahead and roll his fucking body out into the middle of a TV station and just start chopping that shit up so we can figure out exactly what he died of. And that way everybody in the fucking world can know. Or, hey, guess what? We're going to kill John Malkovich and we're going to find out what exactly killed John Malkovich, oh hey, it was us. Like, <laughs> I'm surprised that show doesn't fucking exist. So that's fine. Now, the other show that they talk about is Northern Exposure, right? If you really have never heard of that show, and I don't know exactly how popular that show was, it was not something I ever watched when I was younger, and it kind of nails it to a T, right? Doctor goes to the North, complains a bunch. Um, but it's still, if you have no reference to it, you really don't find it, I don't think you could find it funny, other than the fact of what they said, right? So I would ding it for that one. So the first one, okay, I think you could get it without having to worry about it. The second one, uh, the line is funny, but really, that's a sign of the times, right? That specifically puts you in the 90s, that show was popular, they're just talking about that show. And again, The kid doesn't stay around long enough, Daryl doesn't stay around long enough to actually see that his parents are now locked inside of that show. 
we fade into the show and we see that they're walking across like the ice lake and ever and they run into Crowley and Crowley basically first starts to say to them stay the hell away from me this is my hole and then he realizes who they are and explains to them that yes they're stuck in a television series yes they need to find these conduits to be able to jump between show to show because every show out there is going to be trying to kill them in some way shape or form so he's basically, you know, digging a hole because he doesn't want, he's like, I'm dead. I don't want to end up, it doesn't really work well to be in a frozen area, you know, when you're somebody like me. So he continues to dig the hole and then all of a sudden a bunch of wolves show up and they run into a shack. We cut back over to the house and we see Daryl and his sister there in the kitchen where there's tons of fucking product placement. I mean, he literally is bringing a box of Dunkin' Donuts over to the table and then pulling out a Pepsi and making sure when he pulls out the Pepsi that you can see the logo perfectly. I wonder who paid for the fucking film and who just has a random box of Dunkin' fucking Donuts in their house, like just sitting on a counter back there. Like, hey, you know what? I feel like having a donut today. Oh, Good thing I bought that box of Dunkin' fucking donuts the other day. And you know what? Dunkin' Donuts is shit. They have the worst fucking French coolers I've ever fucking had in my life. If you want a good fucking French cooler, you have to make sure they're moist as a motherfucker. I'm talking about like you bite into it and it's almost like you're biting into milk. I mean, the fact that they're nice and soft and perfectly fucking chewy. They don't stick to the roof of your fucking mouth. They don't taste like fucking cardboard. If you want that feeling, if you want dry ass, cardboard tasting, chocolateless motherfucking French coolers... Get your fucking ass to Dunkin' Donuts, and that's a perfect fucking donut for you. Because you judge a place, just like fucking Mexican restaurants. If you go to a Mexican restaurant and they have shit fucking beans, everything else is going to be fucking ridiculously nasty. Because beans are easy to make, and if they make them with care and they taste really fucking great, the rest of the food is going to be fucking delicious. And it's the same for your fucking donuts. If they make a great French fucking cooler, then the rest of the donuts are going to be fucking great. Get yourself an old-fashioned and be fucking happy. And don't go to dunking fucking donuts. Because they also have that maple nut crunch coffee, and that fucking sucks too. Just get some coffee-flavored coffee, motherfuckers. Anyway, so... (laughs) They bring out the product placements and then they find the note on the wall that's from their mom saying that she's not coming back. She went away. It's not both of them. She went away. And we'll be back and I'll explain to them later. The daughter takes it as, shit, mom and dad are gone. Time to call over my girl pals. It's time to party. And so they go out and they party. Well, no, she just brings them over. And of course... Daryl's just kind of like, whatever, I can get some more film later from one of those videos that I'm going to sell my pirate TV station, so knock yourselves out. So she calls her friends, and we cut back over, and we see that they're all locked inside in that little shed on the ice, and the wolves are still outside trying to come and get at them. And that's where, you know, Helen kind of judges the leadership skills of Roy when he says he can figure out how to get them out of there. Let me get this straight. We've been sucked into uh, some kind of a TV world. Are you saying that that salesman was Mr. Spike? Mephistopheles of the cathode ray. Big brother to the ungrateful dead. And let me tell you, if we ever cross channels again. Oh, oh, oh. Roy, how could you do this? I didn't know this was part of the deal. I thought I was buying a TV. <gasps> this is just great. This is great. You you wanted to live in a TV fantasy while well, you got your wish. Look on the bright side. At least we're not dead. No, not yet. 
stay alive another 15 hours, bingo, free pass, back to reality. Of course, the odds of making it are about one in a... Oh, my... Holds no place for a step. Oh my god. God, don't panic. I got us into this. I'll get us out. Oh, you'll get us out. Your leadership skills couldn't get us out of a t-shirt. So from here we cut back over and we're now back with the kids. And you know, Daryl decides that, you know what, if my sister's friend's gonna come over, she wants me to get out of here. I'm gonna get out of here too on my bike. And that's where the dish seems to be very sentient, right? He, it seems to just grab whatever or whomever it wants because it starts going over to him and starts focusing on him and starts to suck him in. And he's there on his bike. <laughs> this, if you want to see this scene, you can go and check out the Instagram for the Terrible Terror Podcast or the Facebook page. And you can see the scene in pretty much its entirety. Uh, it cuts a little bit in the beginning. I just kind of just, you know, like a little 30 second, 40 second clip from the movie and basically starts riding the bike away. And then as he's riding the bike away and the bike starts to lift up because of the air that is being sucked in by the dish. And you see that he is supposed to be floating up in the air and like being pulled away. You can see some hands in the bottom right hand corner of the screen holding him up. <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. I I had to rewind it three times. I'm like, wait, did I just see? Because normally like those things you don't catch right away. And it's weird that I caught it this time. And I bet you it's something a lot of people have fucking caught at the same time. But I was just so surprised when I saw it at all. I was just like, look at this. Look at that shit over there. <laughs> it's so dumb. And the kid looks like he's struggling. The hands are just like, oh my god, dude. You gotta lose like another five pounds before I have to fucking do this again. Like, they couldn't have just used wires. They had to use somebody to lift him up. That just seems so ridiculous. Oh, oh man, we don't want this to look really fake. <laughs> Instead of using some, some wiring and hanging them from some things that you can't see, let's use a bunch of fucking hands. <laughs> or they didn't have the budget for wiring that day. Or the wire work, it broke after the fifth fucking take. But the, kid, the kid just couldn't do it right. You know, originally they were supposed to have... Tim Burton direct this film, but because he was doing Batman Returns, or he left this film to do Batman Returns instead, and I bet you Tim Burton would have been like, fuck it, we don't use hands. We gotta make sure we do something else. Like, he'd really suck the kid into another fucking dimension just to make sure that the scene worked fucking right. Like, he has, like, five different Daryls. He's got some type of, like, prestige machine that he's using to create new Daryls that are going to be out there and used for the next tape. You know, oh, and then downstairs, Satan's just like, why are there so many fucking Daryls? What? Damn you, Burton! But you're giving me souls, so keep up the good work, Burton! <laughs> I don't know why Satan decides to sound like that, but that's just what it is. So anyway, he almost gets sucked in into the world of the Hell Vision over there. And uh, then we cut back. I actually kind of get to this out of order. That actually happens before they discuss exactly what they're in from Crowley. And then it cuts back over once again. And we see that he's now sitting in front of the TV because his bike's gone. And, you know, he's got to watch a couple more shows. He's got nothing else to better do. So let's crank up that 44-inch, you know, 900-line resolution, 666-channel monster of a television that they have in the living room now. And... He catches something very odd in one of the shows. Personally, I don't believe the garbage about out-of-body experience. It's because you hold your emotions back. I do not. Yes, you do. 
Now, what do you think of this color here? Just because I don't cry at commercial doesn't mean I hold my emotions back. That's all right. I don't think it really goes in here. Clashes with the marks. Well, you can't really say you're an expressive person. Hey, you. What do you think of this color here? Clashes with the bars. See? I told you. Coming this fall, 30-something to life. For those long, tedious car trips, you need the Silencer of the Lambs. Driving will never be the same. The Silencer of the Lambs. Silencer of the Pets sold separately. It's Meet the Mansons. With Tommy Spoda as Chuck. My bike. my bike you saw a bike like yours on tv so what not a bike like my bike my bike come on stop it leave me alone look something else i found this on the ground in a dish mom's watch stop at 10 30 this is going to sound totally crazy, but I don't think Mom and Dad went away for the weekend. At least not to the mountains. Hey, come on, Diane! Look, I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, okay? Now leave us alone! Diane! Diane, whatever you do, don't go in the backyard, okay? Okay, so let's talk about these shows as well and how well they mix into the parody of everything, right? Because that's what's kind of a majority of this movie is just them showing off all the different shows with a veil-like bit of story in between everything. So the first thing is 30-something to life. I don't think many people are going to get that if you don't know what 30-something is, right? 30-something was a TV show back in the day. They're mixing with prison life, kind of mixing the show with that because everybody was kind of like turning. It was about you know, being in your 30s and the things that are kind of changing in your life. I never watched the show either. I knew about it. Again, it's kind of funny. It's not even that funny to me for this one, but it kind of works, I think. And then you have The Silencer of the Lambs. Fucking hilarious. I love, that's one of my favorite ones. Again, this is stuff that either want to exist or I just really want these TV shows. Like, I really want them. I really wish I had the silencer of the pets because I have one dog that just won't shut the fuck up sometimes. <laughs> it's just basically a muzzle. Not saying that I need to like hurt the dog or anything like that, but uh, sometimes he needs to shut the fuck up and stop barking at every little thing that passes the fucking window. Um, <laughs> but I think that's funny. But again, Silence of the Lambs, that's something that everybody kind of knows. Like eventually, it's so much into the pop culture still and they still reference it in some things, and it was such a famous movie, and if you're into thrillers and horror, you'll recognize it as well. So, fuck it. That should be just fine to put in, and I think a lot of people get that one. Now, the Leave it to Beaver type of thing, that old, you know, it's Meet the Mansons, um, or the Manson family, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, I think they would have done it great if it was the Manson family, but it was like the Adams family. I think that would be great. You know, do 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 
it's the Manson family, you know, something that would have been kind of fun, especially when you did Chuck, but everybody kind of knows who Charles Manson is, uh, so maybe that one can kind of work with it, but I kind of feel like that one's like a 50-50. Like, you could get it, and at the same time, it's a possibility that you have no idea what it fucking is. So, let's give that one a half a point. So, out of these three, I'd say maybe one of them you would, most people would know, and as parody, that kind of Keeps it in the right type of frame of mind. But he does notice his bike, right? He's like, that's my fucking bike. I would know it anywhere. He's like, oh, maybe it's something like a bike. Somebody's like, no, that's my fucking bike. You can see right there. There's a little special camera that I use when I follow you. I mean, no, uh, I remember the little baseball card I put into the spoke. So that way it made that one side of the sound that it makes. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make that sound <laughs> at all. Uh, I feel sometimes like a comedian that makes himself laugh on stage. <laughs> it's so stupid. Why I even made that sound? But nonetheless, that's a blooper I'm going to keep in. Uh, but nonetheless, so, yeah, he he definitely knows that it's his bike. That's it. That's the way that it's going to go. Um, and he's convinced that, you know, maybe something is weird with that TV, especially since he almost got sucked in right away once already. Uh, we cut back over, back to Helen and Roy, and they think that everything's died down. It, there was also a little bit of a funny scene when, you know, uh, Cowley, he was telling them about the whole thing, you know, he's like, you have like a one and four, and then he breaks his finger off, and he's like, oh shit. It's really fun. I really like Eugene Levy in this movie. I think he's one of the more vibrant characters in this film. I think that Roy and Helen, Helen, she's too much of a bitch to me sometimes. Again, because she keeps putting it upon him that it's her success that makes him, and maybe he's just not in a rut and he needs to get out of his rut. And it's not about her success; it's about his failures, and he still really cares about her. I don't think she gets that right. That's still, I think, the running thing with this thing. And Roy, while, like I said, I think it's acted well by John Ritter, and it really makes me miss the guy, it still isn't, like, it isn't a powerhouse performance and until it gets a little later in the film. But with Eugene Levy, I love the character throughout. I always like when he shows up in movies. He's like a Samuel Jackson for me. He's usually still one of the better things in the movie. And here he is. And I think Jeffrey Jones does a pretty good job, too. And I have to take Jeffrey Jones' life out of the movie because... You know, this, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Mom and Dad Saved the World, uh, even Sleepy Hollow. All these films were, I really like his performance in, and even though he's not the greatest guy in the world, uh, I still like, you know, I can still watch these movies. Um, so, you, you have, and I could pure sky could fucking give without, that, that character is worthless, to be honest with you, other than it's like, oh, it's the new blood coming in, and we could change the guard, and let's see what happens with that. Oh, I guess where this is going... Uh, but nonetheless, so he goes outside because he's like, oh, I think the wolves are gone. And then you never trust a hellhound to, you know, hide itself perfectly. And so it jumps on top of him and starts attacking him. They close the door. They accidentally start setting the, the shed on fire. And one of the hellhounds won't go through the fire. And I don't know why. And so Roy comes up with a great plan, which Helen didn't fucking come up with after she said he has no leadership, to push the shack over to where the hole is, and then jump in the hole, which is exactly what they do, and that's when they go into the world of the cartoons. Couldn't be any worse, huh, Roy? Helen? Oh my god. We're cartoons. Boy, this is strange. Strange? 
I'm an animated rodent wearing high-heeled running shoes. The word strange is somehow lacking. At least we're safe here. No one ever dies in cartoons, right? doesn't attract any mice while we're gone. Don't worry, that new device we bought is guaranteed. No rodent stands a chance in this. So this is probably what the movie is best known for, and what is most iconic about the movie is this whole sequence that was produced by Chuck Jones to keep the animation in line with what they've done before. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful. And this is probably the best segment in the entire movie, just in the way it's done. In fact, this was actually being worked on six months before the film was even like starting filming because they wanted to make sure that they had everything that they needed for the scene and then they just voiced it afterwards. So if it doesn't quite match up with the animation, you can kind of understand why, but they probably went back and did some retouches on the little mouthing movements and everything like that. But it's still really freaking amazing and it looks absolutely beautiful and it basically is just a cat and mouse game between them being the mice and him being enamored with the donuts that are on top. Oh, I hope they don't. And the robotic cat that basically is out there and uh, chasing them down and trying to kill them. Now, yeah, in cartoons they don't die, but they can get hurt really, really, really fucking badly. And uh, yeah, they basically, you know, they have to live the nightmare of being inside of cartoon. So the cat finally does come out. Well, she does the whole thing where she looks at the screen and that's where... You know, Daryl actually sees them on the screen and he's like, wait, is that mom and dad? How can you even think of eating donuts at a time like this? What should I do? Look for some oat bread? I'm starved. If you don't come down here this instant, I'm leaving. Where are you going to go? Your cartoon mother's house? I am warning you, Roy. Roy? Wow. These things are as big as Buicks. I'm gone. That's it. I said we're through, and we are through. I can do better on my own. I am not a mouse. I am not a mouse. I'm Helen Nabel. I have an MBA. I live at 1532 Blue Jay Court. I have two beautiful children. Who I may never see again. Mom? So then that pops up basically with... The, the whole cat and mouse chase, like I said, throughout the whole cartoon sequence. This alone is worth looking up if you want to watch this. Just if you like the old like Tom and Jerry style cartoons or the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Because it looks absolutely beautiful. And basically, the, the cat is chasing them around. It has a bunch of different types of weapons attached into its robot self. Including a revolver that fires way too many fucking bullets. And I hope somebody got fired on that. Because come on. Really? A revolver, more than six shots, that's that's fucking bullshit. Alright? And so the cat does, they eventually do find a way to stop the cat, which is, uh, you know, something that he watched because he watches so much TV that they, like, have a bunch of spoons set up and then they look like mice and he jumps into the bathtub into the water and they shove a uh, hairdryer into the water. There's also scenes of Daryl trying to convince again that they are his their parents to his sister, but she doesn't believe in any of that bullshit. She's like, it's a fucking cartoon. Why'd you want me to watch this bullshit? 
And then there's a little bit of like a scene where like you see that uh, Roy, he's like, man, you're pretty sexy for a mouse. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a little too much that I wanted to see. And she she's like, oh, now that I'm a mouse, you find me fucking sexy. And he's like, no, I've always found you sexy. But this is just kind of those weird situations where he's finally paying attention to her, right? Like, he's always loved her. Now that he's going to lose her, and now that they're in this thing fighting for their lives, he's like, oh, well, you know, it's bringing us closer because, you know, we're both almost going to die every time, and so I don't want to lose you anymore. And this is what's making me realize that maybe I've watched too much TV, but up till now, honestly, watching too much TV has kind of saved them in a couple of cases. Except for the one where Helen answered the question, and the wrestling one where Helen beat the shit out of people. But he's done okay. For this thing. Uh, so eventually they're in there. This, the second live of the cat comes to like back and goes after them. This time the cat's got even a bigger arsenal and they manage to get in a little toy car and drive away and they're escaping, but they're dodging all the different explosions and they finally see the mouse hole where there is the conduit to the next world. And so as they're driving closer, they almost go through the door. But the cat shoots a missile, which causes him to swerve and throw Helen out of the car. But she goes through the mouse hole. And then the cat, he boards up or bolts that thing up pretty tight. And so Roy has to figure a way out. And he's like, what's the best way to get out of this situation? And it hits him. He's in a cartoon. What do cartoons always do? Especially in this world, in the world of Looney Tunes, they... send a letter to Acme. And so that's what he does. He writes a letter, and then the stamp that's on the letter, it actually kind of looks like Chuck Jones. And that's their kind of like homage to him in this scene, which I thought was pretty cool. And it's kind of a neat little fact that they put into there. So he sends off, he gets himself a robotic dog, and the robotic dog takes care of the cat, blows up the whole fucking house, to which he survives. And then, of course, they do the joke gag of, it's completely sealed. He can't you know, get it undone. He's like, man, now I can't escape. And then, of course, when he stops, that's when it just falls over on top of him. And then he does the porky pig. That's all, folks. And then he disappears into the next world. And that's where we get another one of the segments that I actually really liked because I think they did a good job of parodying it. Now, if we view this scene as part of the parody, right? So... The northern exposure thing, okay, whatever it is, but the scene itself works. But that whole sequence, and that's a pretty long sequence of the movie, too. It's about six minutes. Um, that whole sequence is basically a parody of all those old animated films, and I think that one still works. It works on multiple levels. You don't have to know anything about the characters, because the characters are the main characters of the movie, and you don't have to know anything about the world. Everything just kind of works in that scene, right? And so the next one This is a weird one where it works in terms of the scene and some of the stuff. Well, okay, you really have to have the nostalgia on this one. This is where I say it's kind of a weird one. Um, A lot of people will know what Wayne's World is, right? Maybe it's it's enough in the culture. You know, the movies were really good, really funny. Uh, It's something that parents will probably show their kids at some point and really get them into it and get them into the nostalgia But um, who knows? Who knows what it is that could really be a grabber for people for this scene. I enjoyed the scene because 
I loved Wayne's World when it was on Saturday Night Live, and I loved the movies. If you did, you'd like it too, because it actually was portrayed very well. And we'll get into a second, but the big piece of trivia on this one is that I saw that popped up, because I always wondered, was this Mike Meyer and Dana Carvey? It's not, okay? Now, the guy that does Dana Carvey does, I think, an applicable job. Like, that guy does a really, really good job of being Garth. I think he's got the voice down. He's got the motions down. I think the other guy that's got the motions down and kind of like the little bit of laugh, he's not the best Mike Meyer impersonator in the world. He's not the best Wayne. In fact, it's Dwayne. Um, but originally, this was offered as a cameo to both Mike Myers and uh, to Dana Carvey to do these characters in here and to be that. And in fact, in Wayne's World 2, one of the characters calls Wayne Dwayne in reference to this movie. So that's really a little bit of trivia that you got there. And they would have done it, but they were filming the very first Wayne's World when they did the scene. So let's go ahead and take a trip down to Dwayne's Underworld. But first, let's go ahead and look at some other channels that uh, shows that are probably some of my favorite in the film as well. I've lost the feeling in my arm. All of a sudden, I can't see anything. Sundays at 8, different strokes. It's my three sons of bitches. Where'd he go? Dwayne's Underworld. Dwayne's Underworld. It's party time! It's excellent! Hey, welcome to Dwayne's Underworld, oh father of lies. I'm your excrement host, Dwayne. And with me, as always, is my only slightly decaying co-host, Garth. Whifto! Whifto! Party eternally, Garth. Party eternally, Okay, all right. Now, today we have a special guest for you. A man who can't even sell plumbing supplies. Shaw, like no one uses a toilet, right? <laughs> Mr. Ryan Nabel. Salutations, oh mighty failure. Okay, now, Mr. Nabel, before we get started, would you mind telling me what you see on this card? I worship satin <laughs> excrement <laughs> now i understand you're here searching for your lovely wife helen oh yeah who i truly believe you will find because good always conquers over evil not Therefore, in order to assist you in your efforts, we have located a photograph of your wife to show our viewers. Whoa. Hey, where did that come from? She's a vixen, Mr. K. Yeah. That was a big temple. Lady Naval, we salute you. Sweet! Oh, whoa, and your daughter's pom-poms, they're delectable too. Oh, you creeps! Uh-oh. Extreme close-up on Mr. Naval. Oh! So the skit works pretty much but again that skit is basically like it only works if you know that really really well right so that little parody i think those like i said i think those two guys do a pretty good job i think the jokes are a little bit on the nose when it comes to like the whole theme you know especially but when he goes excrement like i really like that for some reason 
Not because it's shit, but because just, like, they chose the words correctly, like, to go with it. And they did, like, you know, the swing. And it's a little bit maybe overplayed, maybe even at that point. But I feel like it's still really funny, and it's pretty well done. But again, if you don't have a reference point to Wayne's World, maybe it's not as funny. And it's just like, ugh, this is kind of annoying, to be honest with you. And if you never really were one to watch it and never really got it, you'd be like, ugh, this is kind of annoying. Now, the other two parodies... Pretty good, but again, I think both of them kind of lend them to the, you know, you really have to know what it is. Like the first one being different strokes. If you don't know, it's that one's completely a play on the word, you know, and you don't necessarily have to know the show because they're not doing anything with the show, right? It's just about different types of strokes. That's fucking hilarious. Honestly, to me, every time I see it, I'd laugh. And even when I'm listening to this, I laughed out loud that that, that was the, the one again. So if you don't have a reference point to that, you don't really need one. So I give that one a point. That being good parody, right? It's not really parody. It's more just like a play on words for what they've got. Now, the other one, unless you really knew the show, again, they're not really doing anything. It's more of just the title. So both of these two different strokes and My Three Sons of Bitches, you really don't need to know what the original shows were, right? Because they're not actually doing any type of parody or anything like that. It's literally just My Three Sons of Bitches, and then it goes into Dwayne's Underworld. So I'll give those two a pass. I'll put them in the, in the good category for this one, and I would give them each a point. Right. So, so far we've had about four, maybe five points, uh, as opposed to maybe about three that really don't really work for this time period. If you're watching it now versus watching it back then, um, you know, it's just, it's weird <laughs> to say the least on the thing, but it looks like it's pretty positive for the movie in general. So. The whole thing, too, with the extreme close-up, that's where he hits him in the head with the camera. He does it twice, and then he does extreme close-up with the hot iron poker! And then that's one that misses. It gets the ropes, allows him to escape, and then he runs upstairs to go into the next world, which is a uh, little bit of a noir type of world, where he now has an inner monologue. I'm black and white. Hello? Testing? Testing? <sighs> Roy Nabel, private dick. Oh, better than being a public dick. Okay. Okay, I'm in some old movie. Must be on cable. I've been watching these things my whole life. I should know what to do. Be like Bogart. Yeah, that's it. Like in the Maltese Falcon. I'm on a case. I gotta find Helen. Gotta find the clues. Gotta find out how to use this thing. So it's kind of cool that they're using all different sorts of different worlds for them to jump in in all different styles. You know, I kind of like this one. I'm not saying the best. Actually, the cartoon one's probably my favorite one. But I really like the way that they did this one and how they match the tone for each one. Like, it does take a lot. And I can kind of understand why they wanted to get Tim Burton to do this one. Because, honestly, I would have really loved to see how he would transform each of these different worlds as they went into each different type of picture. But he opted to go with Batman and... I'm also cool with that because I love Batman Returns and I know that's someone's favorite Batman movie uh, out there. And this also feels like that person's world as well. Like the whole world of the Maltese Falcon, Humphrey Borgard, and Casablanca and all that fun stuff. So 
it's just kind of cool the way that they made the transition. I like how he's fumbling around. He's like, I should know how to do these things, right? And he has the gun and he's fumbling with it. He doesn't know where to put it. Like, he has the holster and all you have to do is just wrap the holster around or or wear it like, a, you know, a pair of, like, suspenders. And there you go. But instead, he opts to put it in his pants and the gun falls all the way through his pants without shooting his dick. Which... Can I tell you how glad I am to watch a movie where nobody does anything to anybody in the dick? I've been on a fucking roll with these movies, and this is the first one where I can honestly say, right now, there is nothing that happens to anybody in the dick so far in this movie, and it's great. Because I was really worried that he was going to shoot himself in the fucking dick, and you just don't shoot people in the fucking dick. But I digress from there. So... It cuts over again, and now we're over there in the television, you know, war room that they've got, and they're watching him, and basically, they've only got two people left, but Spike's in trouble if he can't get the whole thing going. Plus, we get a couple more shows to watch on Hell TV. Sir, great news. Your new class of recruits, we've taken possession of all of them, except two, sir. Oh, I know that you... Postulating putts. They've just been lucky, that's all. Have they? You know, the strain of your job must be tremendous. You ever think about taking a vacation? Just kicking back, letting someone else take the burden off your shoulders for a while. Someone else? You? <laughs> I'm flattered that you'd even think I could fill your shoes. But I'm ready to try, sir. And now, get in shape with the exercises. Come on, people, let's get in shape. Come on, make it burn. Feel it burn. Good, Doreen. Okay, everybody, head spin. With me, ready, go. Very good, very nice, I like it. Okay, that's good. Cool down, shake it out. Okay, now vomit. Hey kids, now there's a new beer just for you. It's got no alcohol, but it'll make you act just like your dad. Now give me another one, babe. That's my boy. Yogi Beer, you'll be just like your dad. Okay, I, I really want these like commercials to exist. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know about that last product though. Okay, so these two parodies, how do they fare? For what it is. They're not really parodies. These are more jokes. Like, they play on words, right? Yogi Bear, Yogi Beer, and the exercises. I would definitely just put these two into the realm of... If you find it funny, it's funny. If you don't, you don't. The exercises is a little more of a visual gag that's going on here. Because the guy explodes into flames and she turns the head. You know, it's making fun of the exorcist in terms of the movie, if you know what it is. But if you don't, it's just kind of funny, right? You know what exorcism is. But instead of being an exorcism, this is the exorcist. Um, and it's really just... If you get it, you get it. If you think it's funny, you think it's funny. The Yogi Beer commercial is fucking hilarious. I, I don't care. That whole thing, like you drink the beer. It's non-alcoholic beer so that you can act just like your dad. He's wearing the wife beater just like his dad is. He's got the cut-up jeans. He looks like he's been working a 9-to-5 job that he fucking hates. He's already starting to fucking bald as a little kid. But his mom's there barefoot in the kitchen. And this one's funny, too. This is the other goof that I found. And I think this is just more of a censorship ADR type thing that they wanted to keep it in the PG realm because the kid... So when he says, get me another one, babe, he doesn't mouth babe. He obviously mouths bitch. 
give me another one, bitch. Like, that's when he's like, there's my son, after he says it. And I feel like that would have been 20 times funnier. It's still funny. <laughs> give me another one, babe. You know, but it's funny because it should have been the other word, and it obviously was. And for them to keep the PG rating for this movie, they probably had to edit that out with the ADR. It still works. The scene is still funny to me. But at the same time, I really wish that they just kept it in. Or they would have a version of it that was just released later that said, Hey, we're going to throw the bitch in there because, hell, Gremlins was a fucking PG movie. And this should have stayed PG even with the language. And they did use a couple of words here and there. Maybe they could only get rid of it with, like, bitches and bitch just a couple of times. And a kid saying, get me a beer or get me another one, bitch, uh, probably would have just drove it over the edge. And they really wanted to make this a PG movie. So, that's just relatively funny for what it is. So, uh, again, we see Spike. He's a little upset because, you know, they're doing well and there's two people left. What you don't realize is that when they say there's two people left, they're not just talking about the Nables, because the Nables is one group that he brought in, but it also happens to be the Sidon Bombs. And the Sidon Bombs are in this world, too. It's just that we don't know exactly where he is yet because you saw his wife get fucking crushed in the beginning when they were in Tokyo, Japan and (laughs) janky ass Godzilla, trying not to say another word, uh, but janky ass Godzilla (laughs) was there and basically uh, got thrown out of the whole scene. Um, and well, she got stomped out of the scene the rest of the movie. So we haven't run into him yet, even though we think that he's talking about just these two here. We cut back over to see Daryl, and Daryl now is finally trying to, you know, get his sister to see exactly what he sees. But he notices that his sister and his sister's friends are playing outside near the, the satellite dish. And they're going to get sucked in soon because the satellite starts to focus on them. He thinks quick, grabs the hose, and starts spraying them down with water because, of course, they're cheerleaders. And cheerleaders, we all know, are afraid of water. And just like the Wicked Wish of the West, they're going to melt into the ground once they get sprayed by it. So they get out of the way. The sister is fucking pissed off at him, goes on a rampage to find him, but he finally gets her convinced that mom and dad are in the goddamn TV, you stupid, dumb bitch. Daryl! Your pizza topping! Wait! Mom and dad are here. They're home? Well, not exactly. Look. See? That's dad. That is not dad. Mom? That looks like mom. It is mom! That's what I've been trying to tell you. Our parents are trapped in television. Oh, wow. Classy dame vanishes. Last seen at Club Seidenbaum. Helen. Seidenbaum. That name is familiar. Oh, my God. Murray Seidenbaum. He lives right near me. He borrowed my lawnmower. So now we realize that Seidenbaum is actually inside of the gangster world as well. And in fact, he's one of the head gangsters of the society that's there. And he is now just loving the life of being a gangster, right? He orders that Helen be brought to his place. And now it's up to Roy to go out there and save them. We cut over for a second again to see that, you know, Daryl and his sister are talking. And he's basically 
thinking of a way that he can reach mom and dad. And he figures that the way that he can do it is by building his pirated system to break into there. Of course, she, the sister, says, and this is kind of, this is kind of dumb too, where she's like, well, you're the smart one, so you get, like, figure out how to get them out. Like, she couldn't do it because she's just the, the girl that French is the boyfriend and has... Can I talk real fast? I, I totally skipped on that section where, like, they did the naked picture of the wife. Okay, I get that. I understand that. That part's fine. But then, and again, this is just a sign of the times where it was like, it's okay to kind of joke about this. But it's kind of weird now when they're like, yeah, but your daughter's got a nice set of pom-poms too. I don't know how old the daughter is supposed to be in this, but she looks like she's like 15, maybe. Maybe 16. But she's still really young. And I get it. They're undead. They're in the overworld. And maybe I'm thinking too much about it. But it's a little bit too much for me, to be completely honest with you. And yeah, I could be going a little too far. And it could just be a sign of the times now. But back then, especially, I wouldn't have fucking cared, right? And probably at that time, I thought... Yeah, she's really fucking cute because she would have been around my age too. And like, I'd be totally down. It's like when I say that, you know, Christina Ricci's fucking hot and she was hot back when I thought she was in the Adams Family when she was playing Wednesday. If I said that now and I was talking about her now, you'd be thinking about me being really fucking weird. But it was for me at that time and that's where my obsession with her came from. Right? It came from that time. And there would be the same thing with this. But obviously, they're undead in the underworld. They still shouldn't be talking about a little kid's tits. I don't care. Like, it just seems really fucking weird. Nonetheless, she's El Cheerleader here. She's not smart enough to figure out to save the family. So, she's going to have to be the one that actually goes to save them. Back in the underworld, we see that Seidenbaum now is meeting with Helen for the very first time and explaining exactly why he loves being in this world. Nice work, boys. Glad you could join me, Mrs. Nabel. Didn't have much choice. Lobster? Drink. Where's my husband? What are you worried about him for? I ditched my wife five channels ago. She happened to meet the business end of a 50-ton reptile. And I can tell you, I don't exactly miss dried meatloaf. This is great here. Great. I don't ever want to get out. Outside, I was Murray the doormat. In here, Boss Seidenbaum. Brought my remote in with me. It gets too hot, bam, I'm on another channel. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're not coming in here. Well, look who showed up. What did you do with my... Hello, Roy. Helen, you're all right. You you look terrific. Oh, really? Hey, Seidenbaum, I'm taking over your business. And this is why you never let yourself be the mob boss in a gangster movie, ever. Even though it's kind of like this weird kind of like noir world. And it's funny because he has like the Maltese Falcon in his hand and he breaks it open. And that's where he gets the remote that he needs and he shows her. And it's relatively smart that he managed to bring it with him and that he realized that was what allows him to just change the channels. He doesn't have to stay in one world. He can just go where the fuck he wants and... 
hey, that's great for him, except for when he's unexpectedly ambushed by a rival gang and gets shot the fuck to death. And then he tells them, hey, you need to take this remote and you need to go ahead and survive. And so they do take the remote and they go over to the next world. We go back over and, well, as we're getting ready to go to the next world, we see that Daryl, he's going to construct something to hack into the satellite dish. Basically what he did before, but he enhances it. And the way that he's going to do it is by using parts in his sister's stereo. She's a little upset by it, but he's like, look, do you want mom and dad back or not? Why don't you go downstairs and keep an eye on them? So she's been watching the whole time. And when they switch worlds, she loses track of them. And that's where they're actually now ending up in some random French Revolution show. Oh my God, I lost them. The next item we have for you on the home shoplifting channel... Mom and Dad, where are you? And now, the all-new miniseries about the French Revolution, Off With His Head, the story of the Marquis de Nabal, an enemy of the people who tries to escape the guillotine by wearing a disguise. It's an epic drama of love, danger, and cross-dressing. Right. You have boobs. Nice disguise. Crowley? Interesting concept. Diagonal boobs. Could you fix that thing? Thought the wolves got you. Yeah? Let me tell you something about wolves. Vicious? Absolutely. Goes without saying. But not that bright. While those dumb bunnies were fighting over a couple of my appendages, I managed to escape. Liberté, citizen. Vive la France. Power to the people. So the first thing on that part of that clip, they talk about the home shoplifting network, and that happens to be Channel 666, which I think is relatively funny and is a pretty good play on that. But it's weird at the same time, because what would you think the high-end channels of this would be? It would be like those QVCs and home shopping networks and things like that. Usually back in the day, the higher the channel was, the more infomercial it was, because they just put all of that crap towards the back, and if somebody really wanted to watch it, they could. They just had to go out there and find it. Basically, here's a space for it. You're not paying me a whole lot to be here. Maybe I'm getting a little bit of runoff from it, but you're going to be way down the line. You're not fucking ESPN. You're not going to be Channel 38. You're going to be Channel 752. And that's just the way that that is. And I think it's still kind of that way today. They just give them a random high channel that they don't have to pay much for to be on the TV. And so... And I could be totally wrong with that, too. And it could be just the cable committees hate those fucking channels, but they have to have them. So now that they ended up on the French Revolution channel, uh, they're there and they meet Crowley. And Crowley is now lost an arm and a leg. Uh, and he's hobbling around on a cane. But he's still alive and he's still out there. Well, I mean, he's dead anyway, so I don't know if anything's really going to happen to him. Other than he's going to be in these really ridiculous channels for the whole time. He catches up to them. And then he explains to them that basically he's the Marquis de Nobel and that he is basically going to be executed because he's an enemy of the people. And this is the way that Spike is going to win. If they can't find the way out of there or if they are able to lie low in enough time, they can just get the fuck out of there, you know, without having to 
do anything else. Just hide for the next two hours and you're good. So he throws them into a, basically like a restaurant for them to hide out. We switch over and Spike is notified that they only have a couple hours before they got redemption. And he's basically biting his nails because he doesn't want another one to slip through his, you know, through his fingers and not be able to get the soul that he needs. We cut back over and we see that this whole, you know, death adventure that they've been on is the perfect way for them to be fixing their marriage. Merci. Well, we've always wanted to go to Paris. In the 20th century. As long as we're here, we might as well make the best of it. Make the best of it. This is the French Revolution. People are trying to kill you in case you haven't noticed. Helen, if we ever get out of this, things are going to be different, I promise you. I'm not just going to be a watcher. I'm going to be the man I was when we first met. You weren't blonde then, and you wore a lot less makeup. So everything now seems to be working out in their favor, right? Like, this is the adventure they wanted. This is the time they wanted themselves. There's been no TV, except for they've been in TV. So technically, TV is saving their relationship in one way or another, which is very weird. But nonetheless, it seems like they're finally getting over their differences and a life-and-death situation has brought them closer and now is actually going to have them come together. Uh, we cut back over to the kids, and the kids now have basically, you know, created the machine. That's what Daryl's done, and he's getting ready to use it, but it's not strong enough, and he needs to go over, and he needs to steal some electricity from the neighbor's <laughs> house. Basically, he's going to have to tap into their system, get enough power to power this thing, so that he can override and actually tap in to the Hell Vision and get in contact with his father and mother. Meanwhile, back over at the little restaurant, bar, inn, or whatever, there are some revolutionary soldiers that have come into the place and have begun hitting on these two. And, of course, you know, the bartender with all the wanted posters all over the place, he recognizes something. But, you know, the soldiers, of course, are a little too stupid to figure out what's going on. Yet, the cover does get blown. It's not what you think. She is wanted. Of course, she's wanted, you fool. By me, my sherry, you inflame me. I never kiss on the first date, huh? naughty boy. Oh. <laughs> this has been a kick, fellas, but we've got to go. Oh, no, no, come back here, sweetheart. Hey, you keep your hands off her. Your hair is so beautiful. May I have a look of it? <laughs> Why don't you keep the whole thing? I tried to tell you. It's the Marquis de Nabel, enemy of the people! I knew that. Marquis de Nabel, the guillotine awaits. I would have given you chocolates. Aw, I want chocolates. You could have given those to me. You mean I have to, like, cross-dress in order to be able to get my chocolate fix? That kind of sucks. Well, I do look good in red. Huh. Well, nonetheless, it's just kind of a weird scene only because of all the background noise. Like, you can hear it in there. I know they put a bunch of that in, but there's, like, people, oh, 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 like, it's not like peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, like people randomly talking in the background, but it's weird, right? It's basically just, like, these weird, like, almost like sexual noises, like somebody's having an orgasm or somebody saw a small penis in the background. Huh, that's tiny. Huh, okay. So, 
he gets arrested. We see that the kid now, Daryl, he's crawling over into the area where the Rottweiler is, and he's now somehow broken into the electricity box that's on the side of the house. Like, it's ridiculous. There's no type of lock. He just easily pops it open. He's able to connect the positive and the negative to the line, and he's able to sap a bunch of power from the house. This is, like, the worst fucking security that you could ever have, and the dog is just there. Like, he manages to get past the dog for a second, but then after he's done it, the dog stops him. And that's where we get kind of, like, the running timeline of... Will they save them? Will they not? And really, this feels like this should be the last part of the movie. But honestly, at this point, we're actually at the end of the second act. And the end of the second act, well, it ends with, will he get out of the TV in time? Looks like Spike's going to make his quarter after all. Sorry, Mrs. Native. Finally, he's mine. How come he dresses like a woman? I do that sometimes. scene there too when he's like basically talking to the the people there and he's like you know you dork the one in the black and they're all wearing black right and one guy's like he's pointing at myself and then he's like no you by the wheel and the guy goes oh yeah you and he starts pointing over that guy and he's like yeah that guy he's talking about that guy i'm not the dork he's the dork it's fucking hilarious just to see that and everybody's all going crazy and then there's that scene again it's a sign of the times that's kind of going on there where the guy in the audience is like, I like to cross-dress. And the guy's like, uh, you're a weirdo. And it's meant to be kind of a joke. But again, it's one of those things where, like, uh, it's kind of funny, but not really funny. And really, this thing has absolutely no parody to it, this whole sequence. Other than that, it's meant to be more like, like a... 
maybe like a PBS type of show where it's like that kind of artsy fartsy. And, you know, it just kind of goes with the flow of things that you've got going on here. So he basically is almost up with this time. We cut over to Spike and Spike is staring at the screen and that's where time runs out and Pierce basically starts giving him shit and is like, huh, looks like you failed and you're going to have to answer this. Where somebody comes in and explains to Spike that there's actually a loophole. Trucker contracts. What do you want? As I suspected, there was a protest filed on the naval case. A rebel contract binds only those parties personally making the agreement. Therefore, the contract can only be for one person. You took two. Yes. Yes. Oh, Oh, you're the ugliest bitch in perdition. But you gave me a beautiful idea. Discharge, Mr. Knight. Sir. The contract was for him only. Christopher Stroke, sir. I don't get it. They should have zapped you two home by now. You heard me. Discharge, Mr. Knight. So he's going to send Roy home, but he doesn't have to send home Ellen. And really, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like, how many people has he done? Like, he killed Mrs. Seidenbaum, right? Mrs. whatever her name is. And he didn't have to kill her. And he doesn't have to kill Helen. He can just leave Helen there. But maybe she's just going to get killed as a side effect of what's going on, right? So the fact that, you know, she's just collateral damage, right? She's Arnold Schwarzenegger's family to Arnold Schwarzenegger and collateral damage, right? They're just there to be killed. If they get killed, they get killed in the crossfire of whatever is going on. And that Roy is going to need to go on a rampage later on to fucking destroy everybody and everything to make sure he gets his revenge. That's basically what she's there for. And that's kind of the way that Seidenbaum's wife is as well. So really, the only contract that he had... And it's weird, because when they kill Seidenbaum's wife, you see the Seidenbaum, uh, you know, life thing go away. But yet, Mr. Seidenbaum's still out there. The contract's not with her. The contract's with him. So it shouldn't have gone away if he didn't die. And until he died, right? And so they've only protested these two as a way to make the movie longer to get the last 20 minutes of the movie in. So... They send Roy back. Roy goes back home. He sees that he's back with his family, but he's like, where's his wife? And then that's where Spike reveals his plan to get Roy and to make sure that he gets Roy's soul. My obligation is limited to those I have a contract with. I fulfilled my end by discharging Mr. Nabel. But his wife is still... Those who trespass into the system without permission are on their own. Perhaps we should get an authorization. We'll sort out the bodies later, after I kill them both. Sir... How could we be sure he'll come back? Because he loves her. He's a puss. Oh, and uh, I will be back in case anyone's feeling ambitious. Well, time to rock and roll. Crowley! Quite a radical weight loss plan you've been on. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Feeling a lot uh, better. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Nabel. Mr. Spike, at your service. Where's my husband? I'll take you to him. 
And so he does fulfill his obligation to Roy here, right? He sends him back. He does what he needs to. But because of this weird loophole that's going on, he doesn't have to send Helen back at all. So his whole plan is basically, let's get Roy to come back in here. We'll kill him again because he's too much of a puss because he loves his wife. And he realizes that it's his fault that she's in this situation. So what does he do? He goes over there. He steals uh, Helen away. And then he gets ready for his big finale with Roy by, well, you know, tying up Helen, putting her in some weird, like, Western prostitute lingerie and going for the dramatic. Howdy, man. Reckon the 310 to Yuma will be long any minute. Funny thing, though, don't exactly stop here. You're going to hit me with a train? What can I say? I'm a sucker for a big ending. Sadistic bastard. Runs in the family. My father was an oil company president. Well, have a good day, Mrs. Nabel. This just in. Helen Nabel has been kidnapped and taken to Channel One. We take you there live. Roy, I don't know where you are, but get your butt back here! Unfortunately, her gutless failure of a husband won't lift a finger to save her. Isn't that right, Roy? No. Dynamite? He's gonna hit me with a train and blow me up? Roy! I want you both to stay inside. You just make sure those donuts are ready. I'm going to be very hungry when I get back. Donuts? Like, what is the obsession with donuts in this fucking movie? There was donuts in the animated part. There were Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, it's just more fucking product placement. Makes you think about it. Oh, I better go get some Dunkin' Donuts after I'm fucking done with this. Those nasty-ass fucking... Okay, I'm gonna stop. I don't need to go through another fucking rant about Dunkin' Donuts and their nasty fucking French coolers. And it ruins every fucking donut that they have. Just go get a good donut. Just go get one. Okay? Makes me want to go get fucking donuts, but not Dunkin' fucking... Okay, I need to stop. Anyway, so she's tied up, she's going to be blown up, and she's going to be run over by a train. So she'll be hit by the train, then instantly fucking vaporized once the train fucking hits the dynamite. And then blows up the train. So I guess you're going to kill a bunch of people on the train, too. And it's just... Okay, good. It's a big flare for dramatic... And so Roy, he's going to go back in. He grabs his remote, he points it at the satellite dish, and he sends them back to where they're going. And basically, he's dressed up now like Clint Eastwood, and he's getting ready to take on (laughs) Sheriff Spike in one last final showdown. So it's guns at high noon in this little western town, and they both meet up, and he's ready to fire on him. And of course, because we saw it over there in the Maltese Falconess section, uh, he can't handle a gun worth a rat's ass. And Spike, he's able to take this gun out really fast and shoot him and basically knock him down. There's also that joke that they always do in a lot of different westerns where the guys that basically build the coffins for everybody are measuring up the guy that's going to lose. And they measure up him and it does bring a chuckle to me. I don't know why. I always find that type of thing really funny and it's still funny here. So he shoots, knocks down poor Nabel here, and then he realizes that he didn't kill him because he accidentally shot his remote. And they struggle, and as they get, you know, (laughs) to fighting on the ground, it ends up changing the channel and sends them into another world that I'm sure that somebody else will really enjoy. 
Captain, the ship has found itself in an orbit around hell. The underworld is hailing us. I know you. Greetings, Captain Roy. Our remotes are synchronized, so wherever you go, I go. Enjoy the attack. <laughs> Lieutenant? Captain? Get us out of here! Danger's on, uh... Torture. Holy Shatner! And just to show you how effective our passive restraint system really is, watch this demonstration at 110 miles an hour, where our driver dummy has the benefit of both a seatbelt and an airbag, while the other dummy has neither one. Neither one? So, out of parodies and as far as parodies go with these two, uh, the first one holds a little better than the second one. The second one is just kind of a crash test dummy type of thing, but... If you remember the old crash test dummy commercials they used to do for, I forgot what the line of cars was, that's basically kind of what's mocking, but you don't necessarily have to know that for that to have any type of weight. It's just the fact that he's going to be basically a crash test dummy, and, you know, he's probably not going to survive because he doesn't have the airbag or the seatbelt. He's the other dummy from those. It's kind of like one of those old PSAs where they used to tell you to wear your fucking seatbelt, and then we're going to show you what happens to the person that doesn't have their fucking seatbelt on. The other one, of course, is Star Trek, and they do a pretty good job of mimicking the music. It's not exactly it, but it does a good enough job to give you that feeling that you're in the next generation, and it's really ridiculous to see, and even though he says, holy Shatner, he's dressed up as Jean-Luc Picard, like he's got the bald head and everything like that, and it's really pretty goddamn funny to see John Ritter dressed up like that, but not as funny as seeing... Jeffrey Jones dressed up as though he's Worf. And he also is dressed up as Data at the same time. It's really, really funny. It's well done. I think that's one of the better little parodies that they do. As for as far as like one of the little short things. And even when they show him on the screen, he's kind of dressed up like Whoopi Goldberg's character. Um, and not necessarily like a Romulan or something else. It's really weird. I don't know why they chose that outfit, but that's the one they decided to go with. And it's funny because everything's kind of like shaking around, and it's relatively well done. And I think that anybody that nowadays, like Star Trek is so well built into our like subconscious as a culture, as well as like Star Wars is, that I feel like those two kind of mix together. So they managed to get out of that one. He managed to get the remote also done before he, you know, crashes into the wall and that's where they go to the last place which is the medieval setting and basically jeffrey jones has got a fencing blade and he's attacking roy over there who has absolutely nothing as the kids are watching and making sure that everything is you know okay with her dad they notice that he doesn't have a weapon at all so daryl picks up a sword from the wall and then just throws it into the you know the satellite dish so that way roy can get back and basically fight back against Spike. So they have their little fencing match, and eventually he knocks, just like in the beginning of the movie, when he first got the, you know, Spike got the fencing blade, and basically was saying, hey, do you fence? Do you kill people? And then knocks the remote from his hands and flops it over to him. Uh, Roy does the same thing. He knocks that out of Spike's hand, but he doesn't manage to, like, throw it up in the air to where he can catch it. He just knocks it to the ground so it slides over. So they go over there and grab it, and they start changing channels. And that's when they end up uh, in a salt and pepper music video. 
this is the worst part of the movie. I I get it. It's meant to be relatively funny because he's meant to be the awkward white guy doing the dancing, can't quite keep up with everything, and they're doing a salt and pepper. But it's so long. It's like three or four minutes of this goddamn music video, and it's definitely there for just fucking padding and to basically advertise salt and pepper, which you could have picked a better song. You know, it's start me up. You gotta stop me up. Start me up. You gotta stop me up. But they end up basically doing a whole, like, weird cat and mouse game of trying to get the remote. Either dancers have it or it gets knocked on the floor and, they're, you know, Roy's trying to get it. It is funny to see Spike as a DJ with uh, records that are basically deadly and cut into pieces of the scenery, um, it, which that's pretty good. But eventually they get to the point where it's knocked to salt and Peppa, and then I think that it's Peppa. I'm not sure. It could be Salt. I don't remember which one's which. Um, but I feel like it's Peppa that does get the remote. And Salt's like, no, don't give it to Spike. You know to give it over to Roy. And that's where Roy finally gets his victory over Spike. Wait. Okay, okay. You got the remote. You win. But how about... Uh, I'm just pitching here. How about you and me working together? We could come up with some dynamite programming. Chairman would love it. Knock him off his hooves. We'd be number one. Of course, we are the only one, but... Wait a minute. You don't get it, do you? Without me, you don't get out of here. Sorry, Spike. You're canceled. Now, I should say, and I totally forgot to mention, there are a couple different channels that they go through before they go to the salt and Peppa music video. Uh, the first... That is basically a hockey game where it's like angels versus demons and the demons have the, the puck, which is the remote and they slam into him after he has it. But then the angels come over. It's like hope, cheer and something else. I forgot what it is. It's probably like boobs, hope, cheer and boobs that go ahead. Cause those are heavenly things, right? And they basically fight back against the demons. They, you know, hit it in a way so that he gets it and he slides and he's about to fall on the goal and he changes the channel. And then that's where they take him over to where it's ridiculous. Now this one, the hockey one, okay, it's hockey. It doesn't, it's not like they did like the mighty ducks or something like that and made it something different. No, it's just fucking hockey. So it doesn't matter who has it, but the next one definitely is kind of a, I don't know how much this is a sign of the times or that it's like, really into pop culture but you see a lady on the side of the road and she's walking down and there's a car coming and he's like lady watch out and then this is also in the trailer and then the car like moves over and drives over her and you see the sign that says driving over miss daisy and if you don't know driving miss daisy with morgan freeman um and jessica tandy then you know it might not have any reference to you why it's funny other than the name the fact that he also <laughs> After Spike runs her over, he backs up, and then he goes for it again, runs for her twice. And that's when he changes the channel one more time. And this one, really, I think you have to know John Ritter. If you don't know John Ritter, this one makes no sense. But he falls into a scene, and it happens to be the Three's Company house, where he played a character on Three's Company, and then people who look like Suzanne Summers, and I always forget who played opposite of her, come in through the door, and they start playing the Three's Company's music, like, 
Come on, knock on my door. We've been waiting for you. Something, something, something. Three's company too. You know, that fucking song. And he starts screaming. And, of course, then he changes the channel because he doesn't want to be stuck in that world anymore. And I think that one's really funny if you know John Ritter. So, out of those three, you know, nostalgia really hits mostly... Well, it hits two of them. I think those are the two that are kind of like in that time. Those were really well known and they may not be really well known since, of course, John Redder has been dead for at least 10 years. Jeez, maybe even more. Whenever he had that eight simple roles for dating my teenage daughter was, I'm not sure what time that was. So from here we go, that's when we go into the salt and pepper video. So. Now that everybody's, you know, he's got the remote and he sends Spike on his way. Now they need to get out of the damn TV and television. One of the guys, he blocks out how they're going to get out. He doesn't allow them to teleport anymore. Though Pierce is kind of like, why are you doing that? Well, we still need to kill him, right? That's what he's trying to do because he's afraid of Spike. But Pierce really isn't because he's the new guy. And then, you know, both the kids and the parents finally realize that they need to do this to get out of the TV. How do you get away from TV when you don't want to watch anymore? Well, let's let them tell us. Deactivate escape frequencies. What are you doing? I'm trapped. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. What do you do when you want the TV to go away? You turn it off! Whoever left the gate open is grounded for a week. Check that. Whoever left the gate open gets double their allowance. Well, I guess nobody's getting double their allowance because he just broke through the fucking fence just like the son did to go over and get the goddamn power from the neighbor. So now the neighbor's both out of a fucking dog and their power got fucking ruined. So all's well that ends well, right? Are we going to get the happy ending that we want? It looks like we are going to get the happy ending that we need, but we need to tie up one last loose end. And that's the case of Crowley and Spike. And where did that Rottweiler go? Don't get me angry, you whinging worm! Get me out of here! Put a lid on it, Fido! Okay, Pierce, what do you want? Corner office, your name on the door? Hello, Spike. <laughs> Crawley. No, you're a gentleman of the scholar, a fine corporate asset, a man who I personally like very much. Thanks. Oh, incidentally, Spike. <laughs> Nice of you to drop in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Ah! 
I'll get his parking space. So Pierce has now taken over for Spike. Spike got his be- uh, well, his comeuppance, I guess. I was going to say best desserts, but I don't think that's necessarily true. But he got his comeuppance. I think that Crowley got his best desserts out of everything because he finally got to get back at whatever you know Spike had done to him by setting him in this world. And now he's trapped there with Crowley forever, and he's probably been mauled to, well, pieces by the Rottweiler that came from our world. And it sucks, because the neighbor now has his power box fucking ruined, his electricity bill, like, is probably way through the fucking roof because of what they had to zap from him. And he's lost his dog, which was the protector of his house, all because the kid is a fucking asshole, and that fence is fucking loose, and nobody fucking fixed it. So I really hope that he goes after the fucking Nables to get... Well, they won't know if he, you know, lost the dog, but... They could probably figure out and follow the line of the electricity cord uh, going over to the house and at least get them for that. So, everything is now set. We've got Spike has been resolved. Crowley got his, you know, his retribution back. And even though he's lost his leg and his arm. uh, And Pierce, like I said, is number one over there. So, what happened with the family? Is everybody good? Has everybody now moved on? It seems like the marriage has been saved. It does seem like... You know, Roy, he wants to be a new person. And, of course, he goes into what he knows best and what makes him happy because his wife is the breadwinner. This is exactly what I would do personally, except for it wouldn't be fencing. It would be probably podcasting, and that would be the rest of what I get to do. But at least I'd enjoy life doing it. So there's the happy ending. There's the end theme song. And we're going to come back and talk about a couple of more little things that they put into the movie. So, what can I tell you? My parents got back together. The only TV my dad watches is 60 Minutes. And he started a new job. I guess you could call us a pretty normal family. That's if anything is ever normal. Who on earth taught you that? Uh, I saw it on TV somewhere. Some old movie. Take my advice, kiddo. Don't watch too much TV. It can get you into trouble. Okay, fencers, class dismissed. So that was stay tuned. Now, there are a couple of things that there's one I skipped over and I want to kind of talk about it here, right? I was going to talk about it at the part, but honestly, I forgot. But let's talk about the one that I skipped over. And it's probably one of the ones I laugh at the hardest. And this one truly is something that's the 90s because it's a commercial that's back then for cassette tapes. And that was for, I believe it was for Magnavox, but they called it Max Hell in this one. Basically, the old Magnavox commercial was that there was a guy that was sitting there and he says, your usual, sir. And then he takes the tape, he puts it in the tape player, and then he presses the button and it's like, dun dun da 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 dun da 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 dun like it does that. And then it just blows him away because the sound is so good, right? But this one, they make fun of it in doing that, but the sound is so good it blows his head off. <laughs> it's still funny to me when I just think about it. 
And I think it's great. That's a perfect parody. But that one is definitely a sign of the times. And as the credits roll, they basically just uh, flash a bunch of titles of movies over it. They do like Beverly Hells, 90666, I Love Lucifer, Golden Ghouls, Murder She Likes, Facts of Life Support, The Fresh Prince of Darkness, Unmarried with Children, and The David Dukes of Hazard. So it's all pretty funny titles, but they're, these ones are definitely of the times. Like, if you don't know Married with Children, I know the Golden Girls are kind of like this big like resurgence within people for some reason. Uh, I just never was a big fan of the show, but some people still really love it. And they're here and they're in pop form and, you know, something with Married with Children. The French Prince, uh, you know, a lot of people know about Will Smith uh, and everything that he did. And that show got really popular again, uh, kind of in the mid-2000s, I'd say. But, like... I Love Lucifer, maybe I Love Lucy is really big. Beverly Hills 90210, uh, you know, they tried the reboot, but I don't know if people... Murder She Likes, Murder She Wrote, uh, The Facts of Life. Not many people know that, and that's kind of a... They're just changing a word here, so they're not like total parody, but they're just meant to make fun to have other shows that they could do. It would have been cool if during the credits they had actually shown like clips from the shows. I think that would have been cooler than just showing the names. This is our fall lineup, and this is what we're going to put on. You know, it's still funny, but I feel like they could have gone the extra mile. Um, so, overall, the moral of the movie is is... You know, don't let your life, like, experience life and don't just let it go to TV. It's kind of what I feel like. Don't watch too much TV is kind of what they're trying to say. You know, like, you can always be better than you are. Like, at least that was the moral journey for Roy, right? It took him getting sucked into TV to basically learn this fact uh, that he is better than he thinks he is. And that he just needed a shot of, you know energy into his life and this life and death situation that he was put in was pretty much that shot that he needed to get him motivated once again and he realized how much he loves fencing and fencing is just the way that you know he's kind of living his life now because his wife is a senior product manager of the vitamin company and honestly again it's not her fame that is the problem he was just stuck in life that's it it wasn't about, fame is the wrong way to do it, but like her job. It wasn't necessarily that that was causing him problems. He was just stuck in a rut. And she didn't do anything to help. And she didn't really learn a lesson about that either. That look, he still can do stuff. He just needs the motivation to do it. And it's not all about you, you dumb bitch. Like that's just the way that it is. You know, he's a fucking dick because he didn't realize at the same time that, you know, he should have been listening to something motivational to kind of get him going. Maybe he could have popped in an Angry Dad episode, you know, if it was available at the time and gotten some motivation to move on with his life. And there you go. He's got it where he needs to go. But pretty much it's very light on the moral of the story, right? It's just, hey, don't let your life be consumed by TV and go out and do what makes you happy. That's it. Okay, but it's more about, like, the whole veil of parody for everything, right? And this is where I feel like the movie is going to be, your mileage may vary. Because when you're looking at all the different parodies they've got in it, overall, I would say that after kind of dissecting them, most of them work without you having to know exactly what they reference. But I feel like some of them, they definitely need that reference, and you need to know at least what it was, like 30-something to life. Like, 
that you needed to know what the TV show was, right? For even to be remotely funny. And, and there is just like, I really thought it was, and the show didn't even exist at this time. I thought it was like a queer eye for the straight guy type of thing where they were doing those types of things. Then all of a sudden they showed the jail cell and it's like, oh, queer eye for the jail cell or something. But I'm like, wait, that show didn't exist at that time. That was like in the 2000s that it finally came out. So it's kind of weird that they had this thing for 30 something. And, you know, even for me, I don't really have a big reference for the show, so that one kind of falls flat. I think overall, you have to have some type of relation to the stuff that they're talking about at this specific time for it to truly be really, really funny. So that's why I feel your mileage is going to vary when it comes to this film. So what am I going to give this film in trying to look through, not through the nostalgia eyes of where everything's going on. I have to look through... The time period for me, though, because I feel that really affected how much of this I enjoyed. And for me, this movie holds up. I think it's still funny. I think that the bits are still funny. I wish some of these TV shows actually existed. Some of the jokes, which might be subtle, like the different strokes, they're really good. And I really like the way the characters play themselves. I like Eugene Levy. I like Jeffrey Jones and the way they play Spike. He's not in a whole lot. I can get rid of Pierce. We don't necessarily need that character there. And, you know, Helen and uh, Roy are played pretty well as well. It makes me miss John Ritter, like I said earlier. So the gore, it's one out of five. There's really nothing there. There's a missing finger. Somebody gets shot. Heads come off. But it's not really super gory. And it I don't know why, but in 92, this fits the PG model. Even though nowadays this would be PG-13. Even with it. The crap, it's two out of five. It's outdated in a lot of spots. And I think it's just a sign of the times. And that's where I give it such a, you know, a number on the crap factor. It could be a three, uh, but I'm going to kind of leave it at a two because I still feel that, you know, some of the performances are good. Some of the jokes are good. Some of the stuff is a little bit too on the nose, but it still makes me laugh. And I still have a smile on my face the entire time I'm watching it. That's why the fun, it's a five out of five for fun for me. Um, I just really like the parody that they did. I like the idea of the channels. And I really wish I could see this done in Tim Burton's life because it it really does fit down his alley at that time in the movies that he was making. So overall, I'm going to give this four out of five different strokes. I think that it's funny. I think that it still holds up. It's well done. I don't know why. I can understand why critically it may not have gotten it. But, you know, I'm not going to look through it through that type of lens. This is just enjoyable for me. You can sit back, you can relax, and you can just enjoy this film. And it, But it is really going to vary on whether or not you connect to those nostalgic things. It could even be that somebody that's 10 years different from me may not find this as funny as I do because they were growing up, like, or they were born around the time this movie came out, so they still saw it 10 years too late. If somebody that's just watching it now that's 15 may not find anything that's in this funny. Um, and that means that it's not going to be funny for you. But for me, uh, I had a lot of fun watching this movie and I have a lot of fun talking about this movie again. So, with that all being said, what are we moving into next now? The next one is actually um, a suggestion by Neil, um, who he actually tagged me in a post about that documentary that is on Shudder, which is about, uh, well... It's about this movie, and so I figured that I want to incorporate some of that. I'm going to try to watch both of these. Uh, again, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, uh, but the documentary is about the male lead in uh, Freddy's, uh, well, Freddy's Revenge. 
Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Kruger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Jesse, fight him! Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, part two. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. So that's right. We're going to be looking at Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And the documentary is up on Shudder here in the U.S. And it's about, I think it's called Scream Queen. And it's about the male Scream Queen that's in this movie, which was a first and pretty much the only time that this was ever done. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be some interesting stuff from that that maybe I can talk about. But I'm going to focus primarily on the movie. And for this one, I am bringing in a very special guest. Somebody that's never been on the podcast before. And I'm looking forward to talking about this movie with that person. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, and we'll make sure that we get it recorded and all done in time to record or released for its normal schedule. If there's any delays, I'll let you know because there is a time difference that uh, we'll work through. But don't worry, it'll still be done. And I'm looking very much uh, to doing this movie because it's been forever since I felt like I saw this movie. And I didn't, I'm going to be honest, I didn't quite care much for it the first time that I saw it. Maybe that's why I've never seen it again. And I think that it's a polarizing movie in general. So it's going to be interesting to kind of look at it maybe with a different lens, um, watching the movie first and then watching the documentary. Or maybe I'll watch the documentary and then I'll watch the movie to kind of get a, a better idea of maybe what they were talking about at that time. Because I know this actor, you know, he didn't really do much, if at anything, after this film because of what the film kind of did to him, right? So... It's interesting, and I'm looking forward to, to watching this. And that's kind of why one of the reasons why I went back into the past and decided to look at something like this, so that it's okay kind of if I go into that, right? Here's a different type of movie. So uh, that is it for this episode of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening and checking it out. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to follow the SIP Network out there on all the platforms. That's on uh, Instagram, SIP Network, on um Twitter, Network SIP, and then SIPnet.us, where you'll find all the podcasts that are part of the SIP Network, like Deadhead Radio, From the Wastes, Angry Dad Podcast, Paranormal Pativity, Back in Time Podcast, The Podcast from Another World, of course, The Terrible Terror Podcast, and Five Faith from Fans. Uh, all of us, the information is up there on that website, so you can check out episodes from everybody else. If you want something to start with, 
Um, you know, there is the Wayne's World episodes from the Back in Time podcast that you could check out, especially since we did Dwayne's World, and I think they're going to be releasing Wayne's World 2 very soon. Um, there's also, uh, you know, if you like, Deadhead Radio is very interesting because it's all about the Cold War. So if you're interested in that stuff, that's a very good thing. And there's all things involved with it, so like UFOs and another kind of weird stuff that's involved with the Cold War that they talk about. And then uh, you can check out Paranormal Pativity, who had the Angry Dad podcast on uh, the other day. And then there's a ton of great lists and topics from Five Fae from fans that you can check out. And I think Evan actually put out a recent episode of From the Wastes, uh, which I think also has Andrew from Deadhead and Radio on it. So you can go out there and check out those episodes. Of course, here on this you know feed, you always get the podcast from Another World, where if you haven't checked out the Poltergeist episode Please do. Um, and, and, you know, it would be kind of fun to listen to both of them back to back. Either start with my old one uh, and then go to Dave's or listen to Dave's and then cut into mine. Mine is like one of the first episodes. If not, I think it's the fifth episode of this podcast. And I think this one is like 140 something somewhere way the fuck up there uh, in the list of podcasts. Uh, actually, it's going to be 135. That's what episode that Jesus fucking Christ. So 130 episodes ago, I did one on Poltergeist, um, which was a lot of fun. And the songs always get stuck in your fucking head whenever you watch that film. But it was great to listen to Jenny and Dave talk about that. So make sure if you haven't listened to it yet to go back an episode of the bonus episodes and check that episode out. So... With all that being said, make sure that you follow the podcast out there on all the platforms. That includes Facebook, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, Twitter, T underscore T underscore Podcast, and then, of course, YouTube, search out the Terrible Terror Podcast, where I've got a couple of videos of uh, these little unboxing, these little bags, special bags, uh, as well as the Shining board game, which I need to figure out and play with a bunch of people. And there should be some more mini-reviews coming out pretty soon. And uh, with that being said, then I'll see you guys next time for A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Take care of yourself and each other.